The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, welcome back to Brutal Nation, the podcast series that's dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the captured Sasquatch herself, Tammy Underwood. Can you say hi this time in your native tongue, because it's a special episode? What do you give me if I do? I gave you a pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> you want me to seriously hell yeah this is a special episode <laughs> that is i can't do it that loud my i have like this stuffiness going on but oh man so this is our special 100th episode boys you got and me girls. to do that <laughs> <laughs> it is a special day this here for you boys and girls is an extended episode of actually a serial killer of which miss underwood knew personally yeah i'll get more into that but yeah and actually physically inner it wasn't just like an in passing thing no it knew him on a friendship level well not friendship but like visual acquaintance regular regular interaction yeah oh okay yeah some shit like that you guys wrote each other love letters and shit so for yeah that was later but that was more for a different purpose i'll tell about (laughs) talk about that later too it wasn't all i mean because he did write me smut i didn't return the favor but um (laughs) Yeah, I did know him on a personal level, and I might get a little emotional, but um, because it's like I don't talk about this very much. I briefly mention it occasionally, but I don't get into the detail that I'm going to today because I haven't even shared all the details with you. Nope, that's why I'm all listening. So it's all yours. Take it away, Miss Underwood. Okay, today is our hundredth episode, and we're we're taking the time to talk about a guy by the name of Caesar. Francesco Barone. Now, he is not very well known. In Florida, he's known as Adolf Rodi, but I'll get into that in a minute. But in Oregon, he is notorious for being the midwife murderer. Um, from the very beginning, I knew I'd present this episode. Um, at some point, I just wasn't sure when. It's not a secret that I've been infatuated with cases regarding serial killers for the majority of my life. Um, I've always been interested in how the human mind works and what would drive someone to the point where they commit this heinous act. However, in the beginning, it was just a curiosity. Then something changed. Um, I've been asked recently why I seem to enjoy this because I talk about this show a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. Well, we're kind of we're kind of popular. Yeah, so. and a lot of people go like, "Why would you do that? Isn't that scary?" I said, "Well, first of all, you have to compartmentalize, and second of all, it's because of this episode right here." Well, I'm a little shocked at our popularity. Actually, I didn't think that it would take off the way that it did. Dude, so. it has been booming the last two months. Is insane. Yeah. So I'm just I'm still oh, yeah. I read the numbers. So Not so tooting our own horn, but. God damn. Yeah, no. Good. Yeah, because somebody did ask me, I think it was just last week or something. They said, why do you even research the vilest people on the face of the earth? I said, because I'm interested in what made them do that. Oh, yeah. I love researching. Yeah. The, the, well, the and mind. you and I get into, um, we actually start throwing back theories on psychology, too, you know, oh, because yeah. you and I have read those kind of books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'll be completely honest. It's not something everybody can do. Um. 
we must know how to separate what we're reading from our personal lives. It's not easy, especially when they come close together. And this happened to me. Um, it's going to be emotional. I've said that. Um, the case I'm featuring today is somewhat personal as well. Um, I didn't know any of the victims. Thank goodness. Um, however, I did know the killer. It's not as if he were a family friend that came over for holiday celebrations. So it wasn't on that level. But without giving away too much er too early, I knew this man. I had regular conversations with him prior to the crimes he Well, prior to him getting arrested for the crimes he committed in Oregon. And when he was charged for the serial killings in April of 1993, I was one of those people that would have sworn he wasn't the guy who did it. Um, the man I knew couldn't possibly have committed that crime. Um, then I fast forward nine months from when he got arrested and I got into some trouble of my own and I was actually housed in the Washington County jail, the old one, not the new one. And, um, I was on my way back from a court appearance when I found myself in the halls of the jail face to face with him. And once again, he actually struck up a conversation with me, uh, because he had heard about my case because he was actually housed with one of my co-defendants. And while I was speaking to him, I looked into his eyes, Scott, and everybody, you need to know this. I looked into his eyes and what I saw there, and then I go, actually, it's more like what I didn't see there, chilled me. Um, the eyes I was looking into didn't seem to have a soul. You know, because you know when somebody smiles at you, you mm -hmm. can kind of see it in their eyes. You oh, know, yeah. that kind of glimmer. You've seen, you said it with me. It's like, you got that weird look twinkle in your eye. What are you doing? Yes. And I always see it with you when I mention shit like, you know, woodcock and shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a five-year-old kid over here. Yeah, yeah. Um, it felt more, it felt like he was looking at me with like a leer. You know, like, I don't know. It was really weird. I don't remember all of the words that we exchanged that day. However, I will never forget those eyes. Um, but then also what appealed to me about that day is something came over me. I had to know more. I wanted to get inside this man's head. I wanted to know what made a guy like him tick. And longer story short, we actually exchanged some information. And as soon as I find these letters, I will, you know, we'll do a special. I'll post them up on our special things. Um, but we, you know, like I said, we had a pen pal. I still have most letters in a box in my garage. Um, and I just knew I had to get my story out. And this seemed the, the best time and the best platform to do it. So let's start. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is extremely long because actually he almost had two lives. One in Florida and one here. So, um... Cesar Francesco Baroni was born on December 4th, 1960, as Adolph James Rohde in Fort Lauderdale. Shut up, Scott. He had a shirt on for most of this. Bet you he didn't. I will bet at some point he well, fought a fucking tree with a shirt off. Well, see, and I heard a lot about this after he got arrested, and it just, it, like I said, it chills me when you know about it. He was the youngest of three children. Um, his dad's name was Adolfo uh, Barone, and I can't remember what his real mom's name is. But um, for the first four, he basked in the love and attention from both of his parents and that they showered all of their children with, as well as the adoration of his older siblings, because he was the youngest. Um, 
However, shortly after he turned four, his mother met another man and fell in love with him and said, I don't want you guys anymore. I'm leaving. Adios, bitch, nacho. She just literally took up left, didn't want her kids, nothing. What a, what a peach. Yeah. What a peach. Yeah. So after Caesar's mother left, his father had a difficult time finding balance. He was employed as a carpenter, carpenter, and he couldn't at the time figure out a way to, because remember this is 1964, to find out a way to make enough time for his three children while he was still providing for them financially. You know? Yeah. Which makes sense. And it wasn't long, though, after his wife left, he decided these kids need a mother. So he found a new girlfriend named Brenda. Now, she's going to come in to play a lot. Hello, Brenda. How are you doing? Hope yeah. you're doing fine. I don't know if she's still alive yet, but you never she know. might be. She might be. Yeah. I Almost think- from the beginning of Adolfo and Brenda's relationship, because they, uh, they called Caesar Jimmy. By his middle name, because him and his dad had the same first name. So if I say Jimmy, that's who I'm referring to. So almost from the very beginning, she watched and cared for the children while he went to work, even before they got married. So she started assuming responsibility and for the kids, and she immediately had a close relationship with Jimmy. You know, and she which is Caesar, which is Caesar, yeah. Um, she felt that as the youngest child, I had Jimmy here, but all the rest I say Caesar, so I don't know. Um, she felt as the youngest child, he needed the most attention, you know, because he was so young when his mom left. So she set out to give it to him. However, he may have needed the most attention since the, of the three roadie children, he was the one that seemed to be the most difficult to discipline. You know, could have been he was a spoiled rotten little brat too. You Why never doesn't know. anybody use shot callers? This was the sixties. I don't think they had them. They had cattle prods, I bet you. Oh, dude, you're right. And like those choke collars and shit. Damn right, you use that on the kid, man. He'll learn really quick. You're so dumb. Just so, trying to help out America. Yeah. Brenda and Caesar's father, Adolfo, uh, got married in March of nineteen sixty seven. So Caesar was seven years old. And she took on the role of stepmom. With ease, because she had already been taking care of them. Although she had a relationship with all three of the children, by that time, she had started to have some very serious concerns about Caesar and his development, especially his emotional development. And she had been caring for him for roughly two years, a little over two years, when she told Adolfo that he, this boy needed to be seen by a psychiatrist. And although Caesar's father agreed, he never followed through. So there's that. By this time, Caesar was in elementary school. Okay. So aside from dealing with a couple of disciplinary issues regarding the youngest child, life in their home was actually going pretty well. Um, Adolfo had a new position as a superintendent. Of, you know, I don't know if it was his company or, you know, I know it wasn't of the school, but um, so he was making more money with the increase in income. The family was actually able to move to a nicer house in a more upscale neighborhood with a private pool. I know, dude, I'd love to have had a private pool growing up. In addition to the newer, nicer house, the children often visited Brenda's mother, her her mother's property 
And she lived on a ranch, and the children actually had ponies whenever they went to go see her. They had I their own ponies pony. to ride. I want a pony. A My Little Pony? I do. Or a brony? I want to be a brony. I know you do. That would be so fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, let's see. Not long after moving into the new neighborhood, Caesar started attending a new school. Okay? Kindergarten, mind you. That's when Brenda started receiving phone calls on a regular basis from teachers that were concerned about Caesar's increasing bad behavior. Although he had issues in preschool regarding stealing toys away from other students, that would not prepare them for what was to come. Because a lot of kids in preschool do that. Yeah. No, I'll no. admit, my son punched a kid in the stomach because he wanted a By toy. By little fucking and, bullfrog. Well, and then I told him, I said, uh, you can't be doing that. You have to share. Because he was an only child. He didn't know how to share until then. <laughs> Shut up, Scott. Um, Caesar began to act out in such a manner that he was actually expelled from kindergarten. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> then up. when he entered first grade, his problems escalated. That's when he began to make threats towards the children. Sometimes his threats actually would include threatening them with a knife or like he would hold lit cigarettes up to their eyes and threaten to poke them in the eyes with lit cigarettes Jesus in first grade. God. That's six years old. Yeah. I, I got a question though. Mm-hmm. If he's doing that, was he required to wear a shirt? He's in Florida. <laughs> he's I'm, in Fort Lauderdale. I know, yeah. I, I know about fighting trees without a shirt. I just don't know if that he has to have a shirt on or off. You're so dumb. Just asking. Try, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Yeah. Let's see. Where was I? Cigarette. Oh, Caesar's behavior towards his peers became so bad with increasing frequency, something had to be done to protect other students from him. That's when the school officials actually banned him from going into the lunchrooms. Holy shit. That's fucked up. He was not allowed to have lunch in the lunchrooms. He had to eat them somewhere away from other students. Um, Brenda tried her best to discipline him, but sadly, she failed. When she asked for her husband Adolfo's help, uh, he thought the best way to deal with the issue was to give the boy a little bit more attention. Um, that's when he started taking Caesar and his older older brother Ricky on regular outings, and the three of them often went to just go play golf or watch a sporting event or whatever. Um, saying, See, his, his dad's "Yeah, that's trying gonna." To, his dad's trying to be a good dad, but. He's not addressing the issue. He's like putting a Band-Aid on it. Well, I, I can dig that, but his dad, it sounds like he's really trying in a right. non-violent way, which I can appreciate. Right. But in reality, I think what Caesar needed was a good, more attention to his ass. With and a counselor, too, and to figure out what the fuck, why he had all these anger issues. Well, you're talking, this is like the late 60s, man, and early 70s. That's true. You that know, kind of issue was frowned to, upon. Yeah, and, and we've talked about it before. And the, what... We know now about psychology is just recently gross. within the last decades better than yeah. it was back then. I think the, I mean, nine disease when it started to lose its stigma, but in the 2000s, 2010s is when it started to get more advanced as far as offering, you know, the different diagno- separate diagnoses. Right. And understanding what each problem right. is. And, you know, we're learning more and more every day. Yeah, because it used to be just manic depressive. Now they have it bipolar one and bipolar two. Correct. Because they're separate symptoms. Right. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. So when Caesar entered his teen years, he was, for lack of a better phrase, completely out of control. 
Um, he started doing drugs on a regular basis, and not only had he begun to smoke marijuana, he was taking LSD and snorting cocaine. I don't see anything wrong with that shit. I knew you would say that. What's wrong with that? LSD too, Scott. I've done my share of LSD. I, I, I did too. That's why I said when it comes Don't to LSD, wrong. there's a fine line between fucking this is an awesome trip, man, and ah, fucking dragons are eating off my face. <laughs> yeah, it's a fine line between holy fuck, I'm gonna die. Get me out of here. The walls are closing in. Oh yeah, that yeah. happened to me. And the the little lawn gnomes gnomes were chasing after me one day. Sweet. I could have sworn one was looking around the corner at me. Probably was. Checking <laughs> so out and shit. he started committing crimes around this time as well. He frequently went out and started shoplifting. And his favorite thing to, you know, five-finger discount, that's what we called it back then, was beer. Okay? That Which, makes sense, actually. It, make, it does make sense. I worked at 7-Eleven, and some guy tried to take two cases of beer and hit me with them. <laughs> He'd also begun to burglarize homes in the neighborhood and harass a lot of his elderly neighbors to get money from them. It's Fort Lauderdale. There's a lot of old motherfuckers. Yeah. Well, this kind of, you know, is a pattern with Caesar's increasing behavioral issues. Pressure in the entire household began, became increasingly intense. Um, Brenda and Caesar's father, Adolfo would actually argue all the time over how he should, how Caesar should be disciplined. And not to mention the fact that he had begun to blatantly disrespect his stepmom. Like, outright, totally disrespect her. It's a good ass whooping. That's what yeah. he It got to the point where the two, uh, Brenda and Adolfo, separated, which seemed to give Caesar exactly what he wanted, which was her out of the picture. Because when she's no longer around, he didn't have anybody there to closely monitor his behavior and report her findings to his father. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Without the constant supervision, Caesar's outward contempt towards women and bad behavior in general became obviously worse. He, like, had this thing that he hated women. Um, well, I'm not fond of them sometimes myself. I know. I know. <laughs> I feel the same way about men. And in a neighborhood close to where the roadie house was lived a woman now you might want to pay attention to this one because it's all going to circle back here in a minute. I know, and i am yeah in a neighborhood close to where he lived a 70 year old alice stock lived alone okay uh on october 5th 1976 i was one <laughs> in the evening hours the retired teacher called a friend of hers and asked for their help Apparently, when her friend went over to the house to see what was going on, the elderly woman was simply frightened. Um, she told her friend that Caesar had come into her house, pulled a knife on her, and told her to get naked. Okay? Sexy. He was 16. Not he, even 16 yet. He likes 15, old ladies, He was guess. 15 still. There's a better way for you to get an old lady, though, Caesar. Like, for real. <laughs> yeah, he took that into consideration later. Sure. <laughs> so, um, the woman said at that point, she simply stood there frozen. She just like stared at him and then she looked at him and said, you're the roadie boy, right? Right. And when she didn't react the way he wanted her to, he didn't know what to do. So we turned around and left. No, he didn't harm her at all. We've seen that before. Where people yeah. Go, well, okay, he's 15. This is fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the friend called the authorities and Caesar was actually arrested. <laughs> For this crime, the teenager was sentenced to serve only two months and 11 days in a um, Florida reform school. Um, hang on, I got, okay. Um, 
1977, though, the next year was when shoplifting turned to burglary. Okay? Okay. There were a series of events that made it obvious that Caesar was seeking out new outlets for his behavior. On April in April of 1977, uh, Caesar admitted to breaking into and burglarizing the homes of three elderly women who were living alone. After the authorities questioned him on that, though, they let him go. Good going for yeah. Lauderdale. Well, then on August 23rd, Caesar was arrested again on a separate charge, burglary charge, and again, the authorities released him. <laughs> the next day. August 24th, authorities were again able to match Caesar's fingerprints with those they discovered inside a burglar's house near where the roadies live. When they brought Caesar in for questioning, the detective told him he would just be, if he would just be honest, they wouldn't file any new charges. That's when Caesar wound up admitting to a total of nine other burglaries Holy shit. in the area and gaining unlawful entry into the additional homes. However, the... Detective was true to his word. Caesar was 17 years old and was only arrested and charged with burglary at the one location where they found his fingerprints. Yeah, right? He was never charged in the other instances he confessed to, and as a result of that, he received a three-year prison sentence. On December 5th, 1977, he was sent to the Florida State Penitentiary. Okay, that was like the day after his birthday. So he's 18 then? Yeah, he had just turned eight. 77. No, he was um, just turned 17. Jesus, putting him in a pen as a minor. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, at the time he was sentenced, the Florida prison system actually allowed for the young offenders of non... And the restless. Huh? The young and the restless. Yeah, of the nonviolent crimes. They completely bypassed the rougher prisons. Oh, he wound up in the low-level facility located in Indian River, and this facility was similar to what the reform school was, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. They were known for their liberal parole policies when it came to certain inmates, and the ones who adapted well to the environment were actually able to perform their jobs adequately, and who didn't receive disciplinary reports were apt to be paroled early. Not just, like, good behavior, but it's like, you know. Well, that makes sense. You're showing that you're putting forth effort and shit. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, exactly. So, mind you, he got sentenced to three years, right? In the beginning, he seemed to be going with the flow of the new environment, like adapting everything. He was doing so well that in mid-January of 1979, so about a little over a year later, about a year and a month, Mm -hmm. um he managed to get a transfer order to a lower level, lower security facility. And when he arrived there, he was given a work detail outside of the prison walls. Oh yeah. And if he followed the same path, he was on a course to get paroled sometime in May of that year. Wow. So like a year and a half after, you know, with time served. Oh, excuse me. No, look, two and a half, two years or two and a half. Um, with time served and good behavior, he would be paroled seven months shy of his three-year sentence. Okay. Yeah. Better than doing the full three. Exactly. So, if history is accounted for, Caesar didn't have it in his character to act properly, though, <sighs> for a long period of time. He had only been at the new facility for about one month before he received a disciplinary report. 
Ah. He failed to report to his work detail, and there was high, and it was highly suspected that he had been stealing money from that place as well. God damn. Yeah, the sanction he received uh, wound him back up in Indian River with all hopes of early parole gone. He didn't want to spend any extra time on the inside, so he actually straightened up after that and followed the rules and was granted parole by November 13th of 1979. Okay. Okay. And so, okay, then Caesar had only been home for two weeks after he got up. Okay. And that's when somebody found the naked body of Alice Stock was found in her bedroom. Uh Uh-oh. After her autopsy, authorities learned that the elderly woman had been beaten, raped, and brutally sodomized with some sort of foreign object. God damn. Although all the evidence pointed to Caesar as the suspect, it was all circumstantial at the time, and the case would go cold and remain unsolved. Fuck. Now, I will interject this because, you know, I... I live in Oregon, and I know people who knew him even more than I did. And rumor has it that that foreign object was a firearm. God, what but the fuck? That could all just be, you know, conjecture too. Yeah, it could be. So Still, I'm just yeah, saying the rumor it. has it. So um, December 1979, tragedy actually struck the Rody family. Um, Ricky, Caesar's older brother, was in a fatal car accident that took his life three days after Christmas. Oh, man. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. And he was actually kind of close to his brother. In January of 1980, the entire family, which included Caesar's ex-stepmother, Brenda, because, you know, she was close with the kids. Right. Were still mourning very heavily. And Ricky, for all intents and purposes, was actually a perfect son. He was an amazing young man, and despite their differences, he was a tremendous brother to Caesar. <laughs> like, tremendous. Um, I remember, actually, one of the times I talked to Caesar, because I asked him if he had any brothers or sisters. This is before I read in the news articles. He goes, I used to have a brother that, you know, we were really close. Oh, wow. You know, so it's like, it was really weird. So everyone who knew the family at the time felt the wrong brother had died. And even though they didn't want to, even though they didn't want to say it. Yeah. Right. Which we've seen that before. Um, However, something happened at the funeral and Brenda told Caesar what everyone was feeling. The stepmom did. Yeah. She said that she did basically said, you're the one that should have died. Ricky (coughs) should have lived, you know, (coughs) and she obviously regretted it instantly, which, you know, we all say things in the heat of the moment that after they're out of our mouth. I said, however, like toothpaste, she couldn't take back what she'd already come out of what had already come out of her mouth. Yeah. You can't put it back in the tube. You can't? No. Damn, I, I know you tried. Since um she felt bad about what she'd said, she tried to make up for it. Uh, Brenda did the only thing she could think of to make amends. She gave him something, you know, bought his love or whatever. She gave him a car that she wasn't using anymore, and he accepted that gift. But did he really accept her apology? Doubt it. Excuse me. Approximately one month later, Caesar's 19 years old. He went over to Brenda's house on the pretense that he was upset about his brother's death and needed to talk. So she, of course, invited him inside and they sat down and talked for a while. Well, 
He soon let his real intentions for the visit known. As Caesar was leaving, he suddenly turned on Brenda and attacked her. He wound up raping his former stepmother, and while he was doing so, he kept telling her he had been wanting to do that for years. Holy fuck, what the fuck, man? Yeah. So, when he was finished raping Brenda, he attempted to strangle her to death. Um, However, she managed to fight back enough, and in the scuffle, she broke free, ran to the bedroom, slammed the door, locked it, and barricaded it before he could catch up to her. Good going, Brenda. He did try several times to get through the door and break it down to finish what he had started, but it didn't work. He couldn't do it. Well, good. Yeah. When he realized he wouldn't be able to get through the door, he left the house. Now, it was quite a while after Caesar left before Brenda actually felt safe enough to come out. Makes sense. I know. Me too. It's like, is he waiting outside? Yeah. Um, Once she did, she immediately called Adolfo and told him about the attack. She ev- later she even showed him the bruises that she had on her neck and on her body. And instead of reporting the attack to the police, the two of them actually decided that they, they would punish him themselves. He's just fucked. Haven't they learned that it hasn't worked thus far? Yeah, I mean, well. For real, motherfuckers. They actually, this is what they did, Scott. You ready? That punishment came in the form of disassociating him from the family. From that point on, Caesar's relationship with his entire family, you know, his dad, his sister, you know, and his stepmom and her, you know, her mom and shit was permanently severed. They had no more contact with him. Thing is, he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. That's pretty much it. However, I didn't, I didn't know him personally, but that's just what it sounds to me. No, at this but at the same life. time, he was used to their support, their financial support, that it kind of like, you know, he did go another month. Another month went by, and Caesar once again found himself in trouble. He was kind of lost. Sometime in mid-March of 1980, he was arrested on attempted burglary charge. And considering he was still on parole, things weren't looking too good for him. (laughs) If he were found guilty, he would also face a parole violation. With the rest of his family disowning him, he called the only person he could think of to get him out of the jam. His dad. He contacted his birth mother. Oh. Who came, actually plot came twist. down to the jail and posted his bail. That's a plot twist. Mm-mm. Do, 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 do. Yeah, it actually is. Wait a minute. In the evening hours of April 12th of 1980, which is about a month later, Caesar went to visit his 70-year-old, 70-year-old maternal grandmother, Maddie Marino. When he arrived, he told her he was there to borrow some thread. Really? Wow. I've had lame excuses before. Yeah. Come on. He was like, not even 20, 19. So Ugh. after inviting him inside, the next thing she knew, he was attacking her. He began hitting her with his fists and then grabbed a rolling pin and beat her with that. After hitting her multiple times, he wrapped his fingers around her throat to choke her, smiling the entire time. Who the fuck attacks her nana? Like, for real, man. No shit, up. yo. You don't attack your nana. No shit, yo. I was always afraid of mine. <laughs> I'm still afraid of mine. She's, been, <laughs> She's dead. been dead. I know. She's been dead for like 20 well, years. Well, I always say, if my grandma could hear me now, she'd roll over in her grave and probably, you know, smack me. <laughs> um, when she... Uh, okay, so he was smiling the entire time. And then at one point, she begged him, just don't hit me anymore. Right? Yeah, fair enough. And suddenly he stopped. He stood up. And before walking out of the door, he grabbed her money and her checkbook. 
Now, um, I heard, it's not in my notes, but one of the officers who had responded to the scene said he will never, ever get the vision of the bloody rolling pin and the blood everywhere out of his head. No it was shit. that brutal. Because nobody attacks their nana, man. Well, nobody attacks an elderly person like that, period. Really. Well, we can get people to attack random elderly people, but that's your yeah. nana, man. I you know, don't, don't right? Your nana. So she did report the attack, the attack to the police, and the authorities charged him with attempted murder. During the trial, by some stroke of luck, he was found not guilty. Oh, Jesus Christ. However, he wasn't going home. Uh, by then, his parole was revoked on the earlier burglary <coughs> charge, so he wound up being escorted to the jail cell anyhow to await his trial on the parole violation, which wouldn't be until, or no, wait his trial on the burglary charge, uh, which wouldn't be until the following August. <laughs> so, when he went on trial for the burglary charge in August, the jury found him guilty, so he was sentenced to serve five years. Five years, mind you. Are you keeping track here? Yeah, I'm keeping track. Okay. The difference between... I told you, there's, this is convoluted. The difference between the first prison sentence and this one was that he would be housed in one of the tougher prisons. Good. Even with the five-year sentence, if he actually stayed out of trouble, he could parole in as early as two years. He, he attacked his Nana. He should be in one of those butt-fuck butt prisons. that was... That was, he was acquitted of those charges. Doesn't matter, man. You, you, but still, yeah. Still, he attacked his Nana. He should be in one of those prisons where you get anal raped all the time. Be attacking your Nana, man. That's fucked up. Well, true to form, though, Caesar couldn't last even two years before he got into trouble. In July of 1981, he was actually close to his parole eligibility, and he got into trouble. He was assigned work duty on the highway crew when he tried to abscond, which is escape. Escape, yeah. Yeah, well, they call it absconding because, you know, it's not actually escaping from inside the prison walls. It's escaping from the outside. So it's a difference. I only know because I've heard people who do it. No, I've never tried to escape. Whatever. Dude, I never got any disciplinary actions except for the occasional bunkins because my mouth got me in trouble. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Okay, yeah. After receiving... That's what she's going to roll with. Shut up. After receiving sanctions for that disciplinary report, he spent the next month receiving several more in the end he wound up actually adding another year to his original five-year sentence so now he had to serve six years total jesus christ okay dipshit due to his escape attempt he was moved to a different facility the florida corrections officials decided the best option was to actually house him at the marion correctional institute at that time and while he was at Marion, he continued to rack up the infractions. He received disciplinary reports for fighting with other inmates, shouting profanity at the guards, and walking away from his assigned work detail. With all of the infractions adding up, it didn't take Caesar long for Caesar's risk category to increase. And he went to he went from uh, he went from being a medium risk inmate to a close, close or high risk, a close or high risk inmate. Gotcha. Which, with that increase in risk level, he was transferred again. At this time, they sent him to Cross City Correctional Institute. It was, and it also pushed his release date out to October 6, 1986, if he managed to stay out of trouble. Which we know he can't. History shows. Yeah. 
Um, however, uh, let's see. Caesar's new risk category and the facility transfer meant being assigned a new work detail. Um, anyways, he this time he would be working in the cleaning room, which is it was actually right off. It was right off the kitchen where the kitchen garbage was disposed of. Oh, okay. Okay. His supervisor was actually a 59-year-old civilian employee who had been overseeing the prison kitchen for several years. Her name was Gladys Dean. Hi, Gladys. Hi, Gladys. After the, uh, in August 1923, I mean, August 23rd of 1983, there we go. Ooh, that's a confused. Caesar attacked Gladys. He tried to remove her clothing so that he could rape her. However, when that was unsuccessful, he started to choke her. Jeez. Gladys struggled with him and managed to break free and get the upper hand before he turned around and ran out of the kitchen. Yeah, you tell him, Gladys. Yeah, right? Doesn't that name remind you of an old lunch lady? It does, and I bet you she was black. I don't know. I haven't seen a picture of her. I don't think a white chick would do that. Like, seriously, that is that. That is a total black mom thing right there. Yeah, she that is a total... You're kind of right. It's like, you know what? Yeah. She turned around and I don't think so, motherfucker. I know. My my friend Marvin, because I saw this episode of Hardcore Pawn, and there's this black guy trying to pawn a stolen item, and his mom comes in and finds (laughs) out it's stolen. She literally, I mean, he is like 20-some years old, and his mom's old lady grabs him by the ear and drags him out of the store and said, boy, I'll whoop your ass, right? And I called up my friend Marvin, I said, your mama would do that. He goes, my mama has done that. I loved Mrs. Oh, Barber. Minute, that's your one black friend, right? He's not Never my talk- one. No, you said that before. You're I said one. he's, You're I was racist. trying to tell you what he said, and I said, and he happens. It was pertinent to the story, uh-huh. bitch. Yeah, whatever with your one black friend. Shut that up. way there you can, you know, people think that you're a racist. I fucking hate you. Whatever, racist. Shut up. Story. You're being an ass. So after the attack, while he was awaiting his sanction for that, Caesar couldn't stay out of trouble either anymore. Uh, during a random cell search, Prison officials actually found pieces of a hacksaw he had hidden under his mattress. He's going to saw the bars. Uh, yeah, he was he taken. He a cake. <laughs> so stupid. He was taken to solitary confinement. That'd be a file. Um, where it was determined he was too high risk to remain at that facility. They transferred him to the Florida State Prison at the end of October of 93. In the world of convicted Florida criminals, FSP was, quote, hard time. Oh, okay. He was there when he received his sanction for the attack on Gladys. This time he received an additional three years. So now Good. he's up to nine years. Added onto his ever-growing sentence. I know, dude. With all of the extended time he was adding onto his original sentence, it was looking as if Caesar would be in prison until sometime in 1993. Um, to put it in perspective, had he not gotten into any trouble, he would have been released in 1982. Uh, this reality seemed to make a difference. From that point on, Caesar kept his nose clean and received a new parole date. This one was in April of 1991. Now, before that, when Caesar was housed in Florida State Prison, because of the way their, um... I don't have this all in my notes, but the way their solitary confinement or their disciplinary segregation was set up, okay. it was in the same general area as death row oh. inmates. And so he had the opportunity to meet and speak with, you know, 
Out of the, uh, oh, oh, we probably have done him. Um, oh, no, we won't ever do him. Out of Florida. Florida, death row. I'm going to feel like an idiot when you tell me this. Oh, my God, Scott. Ted Bundy. Oh, get the fuck. God damn it. <laughs> I thought you would get it for sure. I thought I would, well, too. Well, Ted was waiting to be executed. Apparently, Caesar had been enraptured with him anyways by the famous serial killer and took extreme pride in their alleged conversations. Now, I'm saying alleged because over the following years, he actually bragged to all the other inmates he came into contact with about the supposed length and subject matters of their conversation. However, officers have said that um, they did talk on a couple occasions and one time they were overheard and... Bundy actually told Caesar that it was all about the charm. The more charming he could be, the more successful he could be in whatever he chose to do. Actually. It's a lesson that Caesar took to heart. And to be honest, that is true. It's true because, okay, I'm going to totally fucking out myself with my female clients. Ted Bundy was a very charming man. With my female clients, I don't directly flirt with them, but I put a little flirtation in there kind of weave it in a little bit and I get way better results as far as contracts and percentages way better. See, I flirt with male, female. I don't care as long as they're 18 and over. Although I have flirted with a couple of 16 year olds at Dutch, but whatever. Um, um, but no, I will flirt. I don't care. Male I or female. I drive by the high school all the time. And <laughs> yeah, that's why your picture's up all over the place. Exactly. Um, Let's see here. No, I already finished that part. So um, in July of 1986. (laughs) Oh, and also Ted Bundy had given Caesar a magazine that had um, personal one ads that, you know, to pen pals and, you know, all that shit, too. So in July of 1986, Caesar began corresponding with a woman by the name. She was 32 years old. Her name was Kathy Lockhart. How old is he at this point? Um, 86. He's 26. Okay. Yeah. He was born in six. Oh, not quite 26 yet. So older, but not like 92 or nothing like that. No, no, no. Um, So she was like six years older than him. That's cool. Yeah. And she was from Seattle. Uh, Kathy had placed a singles ad in the newspaper and Caesar happened to come across it. I don't know how her ad was worded, but I do know that when he read it, he grabbed a pen and paper and reached out to her. Nice. I probably would have too, but hey, baby, you're an older woman. uh, You're so dumb. Will you wear this gray wig for me and maybe these granny panties? It's pretty hot. Shut up. And his very first letter to her, he did what I'm sure most people did before the time of dating apps. He described him so that she could get an idea of what type of man he would she would be corresponding with, right? Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Okay, well for all in, you know, I guess, but then dating apps, we've all been on them. Caesar told her that he was an Italian man from Milan and he told her, and he does kind of have the European, like the... Um, I saw his pictures. Yeah. He looks a little bit exotic. And yeah, he, he does. And he has an awesome name. Even then, Aldolfo... Uh, Adolf Rodi, yeah. That's it, right there. Uh, yeah, fucking, that's... Uh, hello, my name is Adolf Rodi. Yeah. How are you doing today? It's a very exotic sound. Adolf Rodi. Yeah. Yeah. That's Did you say Baroni, though? No, I said oh, Rodi. I did, okay. I heard said you Baroni. Yeah, and then he also told her of his extensive educational history studying languages in three separate countries around the world 
mind you, he dropped out of school and had to get his GED. Jeez. So, but most of all, he was proud of the fact that he was actually enlisted and served with the Italian Special Forces. So when Kathy received his letter, she found him to be intriguing, so she responded to him. And the pair continued their back-and-forth letter writing regularly. I mean, he was in the Special Forces of Italian, right? He's only 26, mind you, at this time. Not even quite 26 yet. She still sounds hot. <laughs> so stupid. Granny panties, gray wig. Okay, let's see. 32 and 86. This is 96, 06. She's like 60, 70 years old now. Sexy. I'm thinking brown in the back, yellow in the front. Just remember that. I fucking hate you. You're a dick. Um, let's see here. So at the time, Caesar was still going by his birth name. He actually called himself Jimmy Rohde. So sometime during their various letter correspondence, though, he made the decision to officially change his name to Caesar Francesco Baroni. When he told Kathy about the change, because, you know, he's supposed to be from Italy, he told her that it was his effort to honor the family name of the people in Italy who had raised him. Yeah, whatever, dude. With nothing else to go on, Kathy believed every lie that he hand-fed her. And the two of them formed a romantic relationship, such as it was. I mean, how personally romantic can you get when... One's in jail and the other one's across the country. However, it was enough of a relationship that they actually decided to meet face to face. In April of 1987, since he had cleaned up his act and not received any more disciplinary reports, he was granted parole. He figured since his family had already disowned him, he had nothing more going on there. Not to mention he was feeling... A sense of freedom now that he was out of prison and had a new name. But of course. So that's when he moved out of there. I have, I have here, but moved out of there to the Pacific Northwest and in with um, Kathy in Seattle. Okay. Why do I have... What the hell? Hold on. I know it's there because I have the pages still listed. Okay. Um, I could find... Very little information in regards to his life once he was in Seattle. I want to know more about Kathy. She does sound kind of hot. Anyways, (laughs) through some major digging, I managed to find out that once he was released from prison in April of 1987, through October of 1988, Barone Caesar resided with Kathy. In that time, he was hired at six different establishments. Out of those six establishments, he either terminated his employment or the employer did. Either way, he wasn't able to hold down a job, and he was released from prison. After he was released from prison, um, even though he had changed his name. So he kept saying he had never been in trouble. No, because that was shit. the 80s. They didn't really do, like, fingerprints and shit. Right. So in October of 88... Caesar and Kathy got married and chose to move to Hillsboro. Sometime, Hills burrito. Yeah, sometime by, be, prior to 1991, they actually ended up having a son. So um, Caesar and Kathy got married and 
you know, they moved to Hillsborough, Oregon, which, by the way, is like two minutes from me. I live a little bit west of there. Yeah, I was going to say, that's right next door to you. That is pretty much. There's only one town between us. I didn't want to out you. Yeah, I try not to say the town I live in, but I don't really care. Because your town's really small. It's not like Well, and I'm very well known around that area. Well, yeah, and I live in Vancouver, and it's it's a good-sized town. Yeah, ain't nobody going to find you there. No. But, yeah, it's all they have to do is walk into any place in Fort my town and go do you know tammy underwood and everybody be like oh yeah she lives up we there. know that big sasquatch bitch <laughs> yeah. that's where she especially is. if you talk to a police officer no not anymore they don't oh, know they definitely much. know who she is not anymore say, she got picked up the other week for prostitution had to bail her out of that shit and uh, i wouldn't have prostituted out in my area i wouldn't have gotten any business with an undercover cop it was you're it was so stupid I'd and he even said i'm somewhere. an undercover cop that's the weird thing and she's like it's okay what you gonna do when they come for You're you? Such a <laughs> dickhead. He's <laughs> lying, people. I am. I'm full of shit. Um, let's see. So they were living in the Hillsborough area for a few months, and Caesar still couldn't find work. So at the beginning of 1989, he walked to the recruitment office, which is right over on TV Highway. <laughs> yeah, I know where that one is. Yeah, over there by Target area, kind of. Oh, actually, it's over there by the old Izzy's. Izzy's isn't there anymore, but it's in that parking lot. With his new name and enlisted in the U.S. Army. Sweet. When he filled out the form, he lied, said he had no previous convictions. Um, after enlisting, he quickly earned several qualifications. He received the sharpshooter qualification with an M16, Ooh. the parachute badge, and EMT training once he was assigned to the 75th Ranger Regiment, which actually... Um, was stationed out of Fort Lewis. Okay. Yeah, my uh, brother Bobby was stationed out of there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. That same year, Caesar participated in what's called Operation Just Cause, which was the mission to capture Manuel Noriega, the de facto Panama- Panamanian ruler. Remember that one? Uh-huh. Yeah, me too. And I call it Operation Just Cause whenever Jake talks back to me and says, why? I go, Just Cause, motherfucker. <laughs> As you slap him upside the head. No, I'm God, kidding. do I ever want to sometimes. I, just, I know. Me too. Not Jake, but my own son. Um, all of this can be confirmed with military records. However, what can't be confirmed is his claim that he killed many Panamanians in his efforts with the operation, he says that he was responsible for killing both soldiers and civilians. Hmm. Which, I don't know how true that is. He was very notorious for telling tall tales. So apparently changing his name and joining the military wasn't enough to get Caesar to change his ways. He couldn't control his urges much longer. And in September of 1990, reports indicate that he met an 80-year-old neighbor by the name of Evelyn Hall on numerous occasions. Tell me more about her. And during these visits, she claims that he would often fondle her inappropriately. Now, rumor also has it that he also uh, exposed himself to a superior, female superior officer. And back to Evelyn. I don't care about that. Tell me about that later. I don't know anything more about Evelyn. Come on. Well, 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 that's my grandma's name. What was she wearing? I don't know. It doesn't like, tell me, Scott. Panties? I'm sorry. Big old lunchroom bra. Shut, I hate you. Those big old over the sh- what we call over the shoulder, shoulder boulder, boulder holders. holders. Yeah, I fucking hate the you. The ones that I, I, I'm going to use for my catapult that I do. The or ones may not that are be. like really like cross your heart, really you know supportive. Hypothetically, I may have tested those out, and I can throw 50 pounds of uh, flour seven city blocks. 
Hypothetically, hypothetically That's speaking. one of those slingshot moves, right? Oh, so, no. You put that on the... Use it as to, oh, to crank down the, the catapult. tension lift. cord on the yeah. catapult. You, yeah. Hypothetically speaking, if you yep. use three of those... So you've heard, huh? The, the number is three. Uh, and they have to be the uh, the the double J forty twos. Oh you yeah, those the Dolly Parton in? size. I tell you what, that sucker would fly. It'll fling a sack of flour from here to the moon. Sometimes I hate you. I mean, like literally, you irritate me. Just preparing for the neighbors. That's all. Yeah, whatever. Hold on, I gotta grab my fluid. Um, but anyways, on October fifth, almost a year after enlisting, um, Caesar. His past caught up to him. The local police, because of his, you know, fondling, um, had become aware of his true identity. Fuck the police. And past criminal (laughs) history. And they then gave that information to the U.S. Army officials, who in turn issued him a general discharge. Even though they discharged him, it wasn't a dishonorable discharge, so they didn't strip him of his EMT licensing. Oh, okay. A fact which he soon used to his advantage. Well, he's not stupid. He's an asshole, but he's not stupid. Yeah. Now we get to, this is probably going to be the emotional part. This is when I met him. Um, Once the army discharged him, Caesar set out looking for work. And that's when he was hired as a certified nurse's aide at a long-term care facility in Forest Grove. With your mom. Yeah, in Forest Grove, Oregon. This is how it came about that I would meet the serial killer. This the place he worked for at was one of the facilities worked for at the place he worked at was one of the facilities my mom worked before she transferred to another company. She was actually responsible for um, develop, developing their Alzheimer's unit. Oh wow! Yeah, she yeah, was instrumental when they implemented that. See, I told you, your mom was like a, a, my an mom angel. was an amazing. And like I said, she and I'll get into it here in a second. So when Caesar was hired on, it was around January ish. Okay. Um, my mom was actually the nurse assigned to train him. Now, mom has long since left that position at the facility, and today, and she's retired altogether now. But her memory has gotten so bad. That when I was talking to her about it, she goes, you know, I barely remember him. Which is kind of sad, because we kind of want her on the show. Well, believe me, I want her on the show. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, she's, she's kind of up there in age, so... Yeah, she's 73. Um, and, unfortunately, Alzheimer's and dementia run in the female side of my family. So, you know, and it's even worse if you had concussions. So, in about a year, I'm going to forget your name, Scott. I'll never forget you, Rhonda. Thank God you didn't call me that other name you have a habit of calling me. <laughs> Melissa. Yes, dick. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, where was I? Oh, anyways, so like I said, she doesn't, so she doesn't remember all the details. However, I remember him clearly. Caesar had been working with this facility for approximately six months when I met him. Um, I probably would have met him sooner, but at the time, remember, I lived in Iowa with my aunt and uncle for a while. You know, until June of 91. Then I came back out here, and I remember the first time I was introduced to this man. Now, I was 16 with almost no self-esteem because that was like I had been ongoing abuse, especially the sexual abuse. And so, you know, I had no self-esteem. So I went to the facility to talk to my mom about something. 
And I remember walking down the hall and I noticed she was talking to a younger, rather muscular, attractive man with a buzz cut. And people who know me know I've always had a thing for military men. (laughs) So I remember thinking, damn, he's good looking, right? But I'm not the type of person at that time that I would actually initiate conversation. That's why she's not allowed on military bases anymore. <laughs> Dude, you just don't even know. I can, I can spot him even in civvies. Okay, Horella. <laughs> Fuck off. So, I've, like I said, um, I actually blushed. Because when I walked up, my mom introduced me to him. Um, I actually blushed when she introduced us. Because he was good looking. And the memory is so clear to me as if it happened yesterday. After the introduction, he shook my hand. And told me that it was what an honor it was to work with my mom. Now, this is where I get into it. Not to brag, but that is something I've heard a multitude of times throughout the years with my mom. For my people who have worked with mom. Hey, your mom was a badass fucking Yeah, she uh, was nurse. an exceptional nurse. One that was widely respected in the medical community. So what he was telling me wasn't anything different. I mean, I, I can still to this day talk to a doctor. A doctor, and I'll be like, "Yeah, my mom is Janet Lee," and they'll, you know, Jan Lee, and they'll be like, "Oh my God, we miss her," or she was so amazing, or whatever, you know. Um, so I, I even just think- call her Tammy's mom, or you know, love puppet. You're so fucking stupid. <laughs> Hate you. So I think I even actually said something to the effect of, "Oh, that's nice," hmm. you know, because I've heard it. Um. Right before letting go of my hand, though, he gave it a gentle squeeze as the corners of his mouth kind of turned up into a smile. And I didn't even have a fraction of the self-esteem I have now. Um, So when I glanced at him and saw his smile, I blushed a bit more and gave him a sheepish grin in return. Um, That's when he actually leaned in closer to me. And I'll never forget the words he said to me. You sure are pretty when you smile. I love how your eyes dance. Oh yeah. Okay. Whatever. No, I don't. I don't think that was even a flirtatious thing. No, after old ladies, but that was a really nice thing to say. Right, and you got to remember, I was sixteen, and you know, hadn't received a whole lot of compliments in my life. And even though I've been told several times since then that my eyes are very beautiful because they're true hazel, and when I cry, they're almost really green. <laughs> so you know, um, there was a point for a long time after this, that when people say, you have such beautiful eyes and hair, I go, I know. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so, like I said, that only caused me to blush even more because I couldn't believe that an older man seemed to be flirting with 16-year-old me, who at that point believed that I was unattractive and nobody would ever love me. Hey, little girl, I've got a white panel van outside. Scott, I hate you. <laughs> that wasn't the only time I talked to Caesar, though. I went... I often went to visit my mom while she was working, and whenever he was on shift, he always made a point to come and say hi to me and flirt a little bit. Um, I'm almost ashamed to admit this, though, and I don't really think I've only admitted it to a couple of people, um, but after a little while, I started to flirt back. You know. Justifiably so. You yeah. Know, you're 16, 17 years old. Here's a cute yeah. guy. And it wasn't with a whole lot of confidence. Um. But, I mean, because he had only worked there until, I think, for about a year, year and a half. Okay. Um, But, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't share this part with a lot of people in life, mainly because I don't think they would understand how I could find someone so vile to be so charming. Um, 
Okay, I got to stop you right there because we, we, we come across this quite a bit. Yeah. Just because somebody has done fucked up things does not mean that they're not charming. And now I'll, I'll bring my buddy Patrick Kearney oh, back yeah. into this, who I now consider a friend. Mm-hmm. He did horrible, vile things. Oh, yeah. He murdered and then had sex with their dead bodies. That's, that's vile. That's, that's gross, man. However, however, I find him very charming. Oh, yeah, I did, too. a really nice guy and a very genuine guy and really intelligent and articulate. Mm-hmm. you got to be able to separate that shit. And that's why I don't understand when people sit there and go, how can you find this person this way or that way when they did this? It's two different fucking things. Now, if, if it was like uh, what I did yesterday for my pulled pork sandwich episode um, about methany, that's a little different. He's a douche canoe or was. I mean, a very yeah, violent... Yeah, homolka. And homolka. Oh, don't give me stuff. Sure, yeah, I always bring her up because it pisses you fucking off. Fucking twat. You know, people like her. You know, um, that's way different. Right. But yeah, man, there's, there's no shame in your game, sister. Carry yeah, on. I'm telling you. But, you know, like I said, it was just... Um, I didn't find out until later that he had already... I mean, way later, that he'd already committed the multiple sexual assaults and at least one murder in the state of Florida. However, when I met him in June, he had already begun his murder spree in Oregon. Holy smokes. Yeah, so he... So, yeah, that would that would actually define him as a serial killer. This murder occurred just two short months before he and I met. And when I look back on the day that he shook my hand and gave it a gentle squeeze, it does send chills up my spine. Because less than 60 days before that, those hands weren't all that gentle as they squeezed the life out of his first victim. Yeah. God. I mean, because I was never in danger of, well, no, because I was only 16. No, you I was never in danger of being a victim. Just from what you've given me so far, you're not in his victim profile. Yeah. Well, this is going to weird you out a little bit because, I mean... Do you skip around him? A little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, He had him ranging from, yeah. But I was still a teenager at the time. Um, but I mean, and I'll get into it here in a minute of something else, but on April 18th of 1991, a 61 year old woman by the name of Margaret Schmidt was sitting at home going about her normal routine. By the end of the night, nothing about that day would be normal. Uh, Margaret lived alone in Hillsboro, And at some point during the evening hour, Caesar entered her house. Once he was inside, he attacked Margaret and brutally raped her in her own bed. And she's an old lady, too, right? Yeah, 61. Okay, so staying within his victim profile. Yeah, between 50-something and 60. Yeah. So when Caesar finished assaulting Margaret sexually, he grabbed the pillow that was beside her head and smothered her with that. After the elderly woman stopped struggling, he stood up, put his clothes on, and just disappeared into the night. The following day, Margaret's home in-home caregiver arrived for their routine appointment. And when she entered the house, she didn't see Margaret going about her usual routine, and she thought it was a little odd. So, however, that feeling soon turned to horror when she walked into the patient's room, into Margaret's room, and discovered her lifeless body just laying there on the bed with her clothes off and the pillow was still over her face. God damn. Yeah. And then um, this next one happened at a Ranco station area of Hillsboro. Um, today it's known as actually a very bustling, yuppie retail yeah. and dining establishment. Yeah, I'm very familiar with Ranco yeah, station. Yeah, but it wasn't always that way. This, this area was actually, a little known fact, a town of Ranco. 
And it was named after a company with a major presence in the Tualatin Valley area at the time, at the turn of the 20th century. The company was called the Oregon Nursery Company or Renco. Got it? I just said put that together. Yeah, I, I, I didn't, didn't notice it either until just now. I, I mean, even, I didn't even like fucking know earlier. Wow. Yeah, because I was like, how did Orinco get his name, and when was it established? No, that's fucking cool as shit. Yeah. Man. I got to learn something new. I had, I always wondered where they got that name from. Cause it yeah, because it's really weird, huh? Yeah, because you have you have like Aloha and Beaverton and Hillsboro yeah. and Cornelius. Uh, right, and Beaverton's because it's the Beaver State. But yeah, <laughs> okay, and that you can understand, and you know, mm-hmm. you got all those out there. Then you have Orenko, and that just makes no motherfucking yeah. sense. Yeah, it's Orenko is actually. I mean, it's not a town anymore because um, they, the company actually dissolved into several subsidiaries by the end of 1920s. Oh. Um, and there's actually like four or five of them that are still around to this day of the companies they dis- you know, separated into. Oh, shit. Um, okay. And Ooh. the impact of the Great Depression soon after that, the area became almost deserted by 1938. It remained that way until the Max Light Rail actually began servicing Western Washington County again in 1998. Oh. So in 1991, it wasn't, I mean, it was... Even though it was Cornell and 231st, which is right over there by where Whole Foods and, um, you know, a bunch of shit over there is now. Um, They, um, at that time, that area was deserted. You know, the only thing we went out that on Cornell Road for, honestly, was the Washington County Fair and the Hillsborough Airport. Shit. Which, you know, which is just a municipal airport. It's nothing big. Right, right, right. But they have yeah. the air show there every year. Yeah, so. we did have the air show out there every year. You're right. And we the county Washington the County Fair is a really, actually, it's a good fair to go to. <coughs> it's free admission. You just have to pay for your rides and shit. Oh, wicked. Yeah, it's cool. And parking, I think it's $5 to park. Um, in 1992, the area of 231st and Cornell was almost considered backcountry roads. Not the main thoroughfare. And on October 9th, 1992, an operator at Washington County 911 Center answered a call around 3 a.m. from somebody saying they had heard shots being fired. Now, even though that area of Hillsborough is only like literally 17 miles from the waterfront in Portland. Right. Even to this day, it's not an area that would hear that kind of stuff. Because even though it's got yuppie shopping on Cornell, tucked behind them are very nice high-end residential areas. Mm-hmm. So even back then, because it was deserted, that was like, what the hell's going on, right? Even today, though, it'd be like, what do you mean shots are being fired <laughs> in Yuppieville? So um, let's see. The operator quickly notified the Hillsborough Police Station, and an officer was dispatched to a remote section of Cornell Road. As soon as the officer drove up to the scene, he noticed a 1966 dark teal VW bug. The old school ones. That's, that, that, that's a Bundy bug, man. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought, too, when I saw the picture again. The car was parked up onto the sidewalk area as if it had just run off the road. Like oh. it lost control and ran off the road. But when the officer got out of his cruiser and walked up to the vehicle, it was empty. Um, He quickly noticed that it had been riddled with bullets and the windows had been shot out. Um, The authorities later determined that the car had been hit with 10 bullets from a 9mm handgun. Oh, okay. Yeah. As he shined his flashlight into the driver's area from the broken window, he saw that there was fresh blood on the front seat. 
Um, a few short minutes later, Hillsborough police got another call that reported a man down on the corner of actually on 231st. So it's 231st is where the man down in a half mile west of that was where the car was found. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I would say that's probably maybe around the co- where Costco is now. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was just trying to put that all in my head. Yeah. yeah. Right around there. Um, so where was I? Yeah. Over there off of Brookwood. Um, oh, okay. Um, so this location was less than half a mile, um, from the car and officers and paramedics quickly arrived on the new scene to find 41 year old Martha Bryant lying unconscious in the middle of the road. It's a little less than what is normal. Yeah. Has been, but okay. She had been shot at point blank range in the side of the head. Although she was still alive, she never again regained consciousness before dying a couple hours later. Even though the police department quickly launched an investigation, they, didn't, they wouldn't know what had actually transpired until Caesar was arrested. Holy shit. Yeah. Now, but I will tell you what happened. Um, <clears throat> prior to Martha Bryant being murdered, like a couple of days before this, Martha... Uh, a lady by the name of Deborah Duran Snell. She actually worked with Martha because Martha was a midwife. Oh, okay. So they were both midwives. What the fuck does a midwife actually they do? They actually help deliver a baby without all the medication, more natural births as opposed to doctor-regulated. That's what I thought, but then yeah. I've, I've heard some weird shit in books, and I was like... No, a midwife fuck? is more like personal gotcha. childbirthing care as opposed to... A lot of midwives will do the water births and the, you know, that kind of stuff oh, as opposed to doctors doing... They're hippies, okay. Yeah, kind of. But yes, they try to rely more on that as opposed to, like, epidurals and shit. Oh, okay. No, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I'm so with you now. They both actually were midwives, and they were often called into Tuality Hillsborough Hospital, okay. uh, which is OHSU Tuality. Tuality in Tualatin? That's Tuality in Hillsborough. No, is it Tuality in, in, in oh, Tualatin? Yeah. No, that's where Jake was born. Oh, really? Yeah, my house was only like My son was a born mile, in Hillsborough. mile and a half from uh, Tuality in Tualatin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, we, my son was born at Hillsborough. We had seven false starts. Yeah, we were in there so fucking much that the last Because of the Braxton Hicks? Yeah. But what's odd is she didn't know that they were Braxton Hicks considering so she had been pregnant before. Yeah, no, I know. Because I would be like, okay. Because there's a totally different feeling. I, I, okay, I'm going to go on my trip now. And I'd be like out the door. And I'd be like, you She know, just didn't want you to all go. All of a sudden, would be like, uh, her mom called me, um, she's going back to the hospital now. And back home. I went, we were in there so much. The nurse is finally, you know, hey, look, put yourself in room number three and hook yourself up. We'll be in there in a short bit. Yeah. Just fucking, no, you're back again. I was Jesus in there Christ. one time with Braxton Hicks, and that's when my doctor actually said, you'll know the difference, because Braxton Hicks is your body's getting ready, you know, so it's like kind of like <laughs> doing the cramping and the contractions and everything. He said, but when you're in actual labor, even if your water's not broken, you'll feel like you have to poop and can't stop. Like, that's a constant feeling. It's like, oh, my God, I got to poop. Because you have the pressure. That makes sense. Uh, Yeah. So, for anybody who's pregnant out there and gets Braxton Hicks. I feel like (laughs) I'm pregnant right now. You know, just because you have a food baby coming, Scott. That's a pool pork Um, sandwich going on up in there. Shut up. Yummy. Um, Deborah later did testify during Caesar's trial because of an incident that occurred to her um, before Martha was murdered. Um, Two days prior to Martha... Um, was found unconscious in the middle of the Cornell Road. She was actually in the middle of the road. Holy shit. Yeah. Deborah had an odd experience of her own. 
um, on October 7th um, at around midnight, Deborah was getting, and mind you, Caesar had been, is divorced by this time. Okay. He got okay. divorced like right around the beginning of 92. Where's your kid at, man? Uh, with his mom, but there's, he still saw him. Okay. Well, I was yeah, to get to that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I didn't really get into it because it was just like blip on it that I could find. No, I just want to make sure that he wasn't being a total fucking No, asshole. no. He would still see him occasionally. So go see your kid, motherfucker. Yeah. So, um, anyways, Deborah was getting ready to leave Twality Hospital after delivering a baby. And it was around midnight. Um, as she was getting to walk, and the way Twality Hospital is set up is they have emergency room on 7th, then the main entrance is on 8th. Mm-hmm. Well, after the main entrance, there's a little side parking lot, right? And then off to the side of that side parking lot, you go through like a gated, you have to have uh, hospital credentials to get back there. Okay. Right. That's where my brother had his vasectomy. At Hillsborough? Yeah. I took him there and then took him but back. But you didn't park separate. in the authorized parking <laughs> no no i didn't i just dropped him off we were happy because my brother phil's got like a bajillion kids too <laughs> so anyways she's getting actually ready to walk out that side and they were locked doors because you know they are not accessible to the public yeah um so they're locked doors and at the hospital when something caught her attention she was she's noticed that um because they're located on the side of the building, dark outside. She and they're only used, utilized by hospital staff. This particular night, she saw a man standing out there, one that she'd never recognized before. And the big fucking hospital. Yeah, but nobody's usually in that lot unless they're staff. Okay, it could have been new staff just kind of hanging around, going, "Yeah, glad I got this job. Now I get to be a doctor, and I'm going to cut into people." Type of a thing, or whatever the fuck they do, or get to make salads, or I don't know what a doctor does. Um, but uh, <laughs> <For a> salad, <laughs> toss a salad. I don't know. You're so um, fucking stupid. You know, maybe it's a new staffer. Bitch doesn't know. Being all judgmental. Well, this is lady. true, but she had an uneasy feeling. She got to the doors and looked up, and he was just staring at the doors, like intently. She said she could only describe the look on his face as intense. Okay, so he's intense yeah. about the doors. Maybe he's a door-to-door salesman. He's all, this is a door. I must sell to the door. At midnight, Scott? At midnight. Okay, thank you for coming up with excuses for him. Midnight salesman. So, Next on Brutal Nation. So she became uncomfortable, and she chose not to leave at that moment. Instead, she remained inside the building and kind of, you know, because the lobby's not that far from there. Maybe. It's the father of one of them motherfucking Girl Scouts that track people down. It's midnight. He's out there. I know, I know doctors and nurses. Are In October, here. though, that's before. Uh, oh, that might be when they start taking orders. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to get these motherfuckers. They're not escaping from me now. I'm watching because Sally, Sally needs to you know, win her cookie seller badge or whatever the frick they get from that. You know, that's what it is. Goddamn psychopaths. So dumb. Um. I made me lose where I was. Oh, sometime later, um, she actually like kind of walked by again and noticed that she didn't see him there. So she walked outside to get in, and got in her car. And as soon as she was in her car and shut the door, she looked up and he was standing right there in the shadows. Oh my God, it's Cheryl. And just, and just out of sight from the building. And he was standing in the shadows of the sidewalk near the edge of the lot and just looking at her. That's Cheryl. That's your neighbor. My, my other neighbor. The one that wiped, rubbed your butt. 
Yeah, the creepy, creepy old lady. Oh, my God. I think that Caesar Baroni and her are related. Like, there's a kinship there. There could be. Uh, That's creepy as fuck. She actually was like, hurried up, locked her doors, and drove away. Um, Now, she always took the same driving route down (laughs) Cornell that Martha always took to get home because they lived in southwest Portland there. Um, So a few minutes later, she was actually driving down Cornell, and which... Like I said, it happened to be the same route Martha would take. And she was actually in the vicinity of 231st when she noticed a car come rushing up behind her. As quickly as the car was on her tail, it pulled up beside her and she noticed that it was kind of a white muscle car with a white top. It didn't pass her, though. It suddenly dropped in behind her again and started to flash its lights at her like it was signaling her to pull over. Okay. You know it's dangerous when a car does that. It's coming up behind you and you hear, dun dun I know, dude. That's some Jaws. Like Jaws, yeah. You're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger car. Bigger than the VW. Right? So being it was the middle of the night, um, she quickly became worried for her safety, which I can understand. Oh, yeah. um, so she kept driving. At the next intersection, though, she saw that there was another car waiting to turn. So she actually pulled up next to it and made it appear as if she knew the other driver and they were going to have a conversation. Ah, smart girl. And so as soon as she did that, the car behind her turned off suddenly down a different street and drove off. And she never saw who was driving the car because it was night. Um, But she had this uneasy feeling. Uh, she never went to the police about what happened to her because she wasn't hurt uh, until she found out that Martha had been murdered in that exact same area. Um, there wasn't much the police could do at that point because she never got a good look at the driver. Um, she didn't even know who the man outside the hospital was. She had never seen him before. Then six months later, she was watching the news when she heard the report of Caesar's arrest in connection with Martha's murder. And when she knew... That's when she knew, because she looked at the TV, that he was the one she saw outside. Yeah. She's convinced she narrowly escaped being one of his victims. It was a parent of a Girl Scout. I'm still saying that. I think that she's full of poop. Dude, you're weird. So, after Deborah went to the authorities and told them what had happened to her, they actually determined some things about the night Martha died. Um, after doing some investigating, law enforcement quickly found out that Caesar did not actually have a valid reason for ever being in that reserve lot because he no longer worked in the healthcare industry. And they determined that on the night of October 7th, he'd gone to the hospital with the sole purpose of finding a victim. Okay. Yeah. Or, that, or cookies from the Girl Scout cookie dad. Or, yeah, to sell, yeah. That he had every intention of raping and possibly murdering Deborah if he could have gotten her to pull over. Um, detectives were able to prove that he had been planning the attack for several days and they figure when his efforts to get Deborah to pull over had failed, he became more determined to find another victim there, you know, because he's angry now and he wanted to find one quickly since he had already been stalking out the hospital at night. It made sense that he returned there to find another victim a couple days later, the night of Martha's attack, nobody saw him, which shows he was better about remaining concealed while he was waiting for the right moment. And he had thin boots. They give you superpowers. <laughs> After failing to apprehend a victim on the 7th... Oh, wait. 
Oh, wait. Okay. Um, that night, Martha left the hospital after delivering a baby and started driving her normal route down Cornell Road. Since, yeah, she actually did deliver a little baby girl. Since he had learned from his failures, Caesar didn't try flashing his lights to get Martha to pull over. This time, he made sure she'd pull over. And he was able to force Martha to drive off the road when he began firing his gun at the VW bug and actually shot her in the process. She had a bullet wound in her back. Damn, that's fucked up. When he pulled over, he walked up to the driver's side, grabbed her, and dragged her out of the car. Then he forced her to get into his vehicle before he drove to that other location half a mile away. Um. He drove less than half a mile before he pulled over to the side of the road and forced Martha to get out of the car. He forced her down on the ground and tried to rape her. However, she was so severely injured that um, he couldn't follow through with this act because it was like she was dying. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, But he also didn't want her to identify him later if she survived. So in a fit of rage, he shot her execution style in the temple before just dumping her body in the middle of the road. Jesus Christ, it's fucked up. I know, right? On December 29th, 1992, Caesar was bar hopping with a former co-worker by the name of Leonard Darcell. Now, Leonard was a lot younger, you know, and they were in Portland's Old Town. Shortly before midnight, they picked up a girl by the name of Alyssa Lake. Uh, It doesn't say how old she is, but she's younger. And Caesar was driving the car, and he only drove a short distance before he pulled into an empty parking lot. And he told Alyssa it was so that he and Darcel could, quote, take a leak. Which, you know, whatever. When Caesar was done urinating, he returned to the car and pulled out a gun. He pressed the muzzle up against Alyssa's neck and told her he was going to kill her if she didn't perform oral sex on him. Okay? Um, Hang on. So Alyssa kept saying to him, you know, you're going to have to kill me because I'm not doing that. I'm not sucking your dick. Right? Aw, man. Um, Be a trooper, Alyssa. Goddamn, suck some dick. Right? Whatever. With a gun in my head? I would never. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. You would take it as a threat and suck dick with a bologna sandwich against your head. (laughs) You're so fucking... I'd be like, no need to threaten me, honey. You don't even need a gun or anything. It could be like a wet noodle, a bologna sandwich. (laughs) Two fingers, you know. Why are you telling people I like it rough? Shut up. No. (laughs) Um... Let's see here. Blah, blah, blah. Um, As the two of them were going back and forth, him saying, suck my dick, I'm going to shoot you. And she's like, shoot me. Um, Darcel returned to the car. Apparently, he and Alyssa kind of knew each other a little bit. And he actually began pleading with Caesar, don't hurt her. Right? Yeah. Cool Darcel, man. Yeah. He and Caesar actually um, argued about it for 15, 20 minutes. And... I heard somewhere that they kind of got into a little physical altercation, too, but I don't know if that's true. Um, The whole time they were arguing, Caesar kept putting the gun against Alyssa's head, saying, I'm going to kill you. And finally, though, he agreed not to harm her. Uh, That's when he put the gun away and drove her home. Okay? Weak. Well, after he and Darcel took Alyssa home, they went back to Old Town. Outside of another bar, they encountered 23-year-old Shante Woodman, who was kind of had African-American descent, obviously. Do you think? With a name like yeah. that? Yeah. And they offered to give her a ride. Unfortunately. Well, I'm not being prejudiced, by the way. Name one white person that's named Shante. You can't. 
No. Doesn't what happen. was um Dar- uh, John Arthur Ackroyd's? Oh, I can't remember her name. God damn it. But she's Native American. Yeah, but her and her brother had, you know, different, na- you know, like you wouldn't assume were white names. No, no, no. Oh, oh, oh I, I know who you're thinking. No, they, they weren't uh, Indians. They, uh, yeah. Shanty. Shanty. Shant- something like that is her nickname. Uh, I'll think of it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, with Shantae in the car, what are you looking for? Oh, they're right here. Um, Caesar drove west on Highway 26 until he reached uh, around the area of Stucky's Corner, which is the Vernonia turnoff. Um, that's where he decided to pull off the side of the road. And once the car stopped, he dragged Shantae out of the car and Darcel joined him. And they both brutally raped her before they beat her severely. Um, and she was unconscious, and the two of them actually assumed they killed her. So they just left her body right there on the side of the road and Would got back in the car. Would that be considered a hate crime? Might have been. Because, and I'm not, you know, trying to be a dick or anything. No. But I don't know if it'd be considered a hate crime because it wasn't like they singled her out because she was black. Okay. You know, because a lot of her, his other victims were, you know, white and shit like that. He wasn't focusing on, you know. Leave the sisters alone, motherfucker. That's right, dude. Hit the white chicks. Well, there's a long time when I didn't believe he actually killed her. I I always thought it was Leonard Darcel that was more involved. But um, let's see. As they were pulling away, they actually both looked back and they saw her moving, so they knew she was still alive. And at that point, Caesar went back over to her body, beat her over the head with the butt of his pistol, and then shot her in the head right under the chin. Like this way. Holy like shit, up. yeah. You know, like you would see somebody committing suicide with a rifle. You know? <coughs> right. Um, well, I just wanted to get, audience can't see me pointing. So, um, before he picked up her body and threw it over the guardrail. Um, later that same day, a highway worker discovered her naked body laying in the brush. And he called the authorities. When the authorities arrived on the scene, they noticed the presence of shell casings. And ballistics tests later determined they were this, those casing matched the ones found at Martha Bryant crime scene. Um, now, one week later, on January 6, 1993, Caesar was visiting 63-year-old Betty Lou Williams at her apartment Betty in, Lou. in Cornelius. Um, even though it was the early morning hours, the two of them were actually having a drink together. And at one point, because I think she actually lived close to him because he lived in that area. And I like day drinking. She's my kind of girl. (laughs) These are early morning hours, probably before (coughs) even daybreak. At one point, Betty got up and went to use the bathroom. As she was walking down the hall, Caesar followed her. When she got to the restroom, he pulled out his gun and forced himself on her. He didn't even bother forcing her into the bedroom. He raped her right there on the bathroom floor. Um, while he was brutally raping her, she had a heart attack and died before he could finish. Um, so he just got up, threw her partially clothed body in the bathtub, and left her there, and her son found her there the next day. Fuck, man. Yeah. At first, though, the authorities thought she just had a heart attack while she was in the bathroom and fell into the tub. And they found out later during the autopsy that she had been violated sexually, and as a result of that, she had a heart attack. So he quite literally scared her to death. Which, yeah. Now there's Joyce Scarborough. On February 4th, 1993, Joyce Scarborough, Caesar's former mother-in-law, mysteriously died. 
There was never an autopsy performed, but authorities have always thought her death was suspicious. They highly suspected Caesar was connected to her death in some way, especially since he stole her bank card on that on the fourth and withdrew approximately three thousand dollars from her account. Um, then there's Matilda Gardner on February. I like the name Matilda. I know That's you do. a good old name right there. You're a dumbass. On February 13th, 1993, Caesar broke into the Cornelius home of his 58-year-old landlady, Matilda. Only 58? Gardner. Yeah. Once he was inside, he tried to rape and sodomize her, but she managed to fight him off and he left. She immediately called authorities and they launched an investigation concerning her attack. And this attack would lead to his downfall. Um... After conducting an investigation into the attack on Matilda, the authorities decided they had enough evidence to make an arrest. On February 27th, 1993, he was walking out of the Jungle Room, which is a bar in Cornelius. Jungle Room and Leo's Lair, they're like right next to each other. And when officers moved in and arrested him, uh, they transported him to Washington County Jail in Hillsborough and charged him with attempted rape, sodomy, menacing, and burglary. Okay. All right. Little did they know they would soon have enough information to charge him with so much more. Um, once he's in jail, he can't keep his damn mouth shut. You know, he was in jail awaiting trial for the attack against Matilda, and he began talking to a couple of his cellmates. One of them was a guy by the name of Timothy Woodruff. Um, according to Timothy's testimony later, they were having a conversation one day and the subject of the Green River Killer came up and Caesar told him literally the Green River Killer, and I'm quoting, the Green R- River Killer is just a punk. Compared to me, he's a punk. <laughs> yeah. Um, mind you, Green River travel. didn't get caught until what, 2001? Something like that. Yeah. So according to experts, by Caesar making this comment, he tr- took tremendous pride in the level of violence he displayed while committing his crimes. And he often compared himself to other more widely known serial killers because in his mind, he viewed himself as a better predator, which I'm going to bring this up a little later. However, he was just a basic bitch because nobody really knew who he was and nobody does to this day. And there are numerous documentaries, movies, and depictions of his idol, Ted Bundy, and the punk Green River Killer. Eh, good point. You know. Good point. So. And taking out women that are in my dating pool. I know, dude. Sad, there was one point when Caesar was talking with another inmate who is not named, who was so disturbed by what Caesar told him, he felt compelled to talk to the detectives. Now, at the time, he was talking to Detective O'Connell, and he said, had this been a drug murder, you would never, you would have never heard a word from me. But this is just sick, twisted stuff. The detectives later say that Caesar's actions were beyond bizarre, that even hardened criminals were repulsed by what he had done. Um, Over a period of five days, Caesar talked to him about a number of things. The first thing the inmate realized was that Caesar had a deep admiration for Ted Bundy. Um, Oh. Uh, Where was I? I got lost. Oh, it was obvious he idolized the killer and placed a great value on the interactions they had in Florida that by knowing Bundy, Caesar himself thought he was famous in his mind. 
The inmate said it was like Caesar was infatuated with Bundy. Like, almost, like, I don't know, I want to say, like, I don't know, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, he got a heart on every time somebody mentioned Bundy's name. Kind of like me and Kearney. Stop it. Um, then Caesar began talking about the murders. Mind you, the authorities didn't even consider him a suspect at this time. Um, he went into great detail when he talked about Martha's murder. He talked about how he had shot her in the temple, but he didn't stop there. He then took out some candy bars and soap bars um, so that he could illustrate the location of his vehicle in comparison to Martha's at the time he fired the gun and when he pulled her out. While he was talking about Mar- killing Martha, the other inmate said Caesar was getting all excited. He began jumping around the cell. Reminds me of Bonin. Yeah, no and shit. at one point, he jumped up on the bunk and began rubbing his crotch. The inmate said he was enthralled with it, like it was what he lived for. He's a pervert, that's, and that's his whole thing in life. Okay? Then Caesar told this guy about raping Betty Lou. Um, according to this inmate, Caesar was telling him details about the rape when he said she was just scared. She was real scared. And all of a sudden I could tell that she was starting to have a heart attack. Although he didn't physically kill her, he took pride in her death because he had caused it. Um, when this inmate relayed his conversations with Caesar to the detectives, they began to take a closer look at Caesar and things started to fall into place. Um, After hearing what the other inmate had to say, they began investigating Caesar and his involvement in the murders that occurred in Washington County. They started to search his 1976 Malibu Classic and his residence. And that's when they found the 9mm semi-automatic handgun and a 22 caliber handgun. Um, They learned that at the time Martha was murdered, he owned a white muscle card that he sold shortly afterwards. They were able to track down the new owner of the vehicle and they were given permission to search it. During the search, forensics were able to determine that one of the seats had been scrubbed with a cleaning detergent. And when they removed the upholstery, they discovered the cushion underneath was soaked with dry blood. Tests determined that this blood did belong to Martha. So when Caesar found out that the authorities were investigating him for the murders, he decided he had to try and cover his tracks. At the time he was arrested, he was sharing a residence with this guy by the last name of Hutchison. And right before he was charged with Martha's murder, he placed a call to Hutchison and told him to get the 9mm out of his car. At that point, Hutchison told him they had already given it to the police when they came to search the house. Caesar got angry and hung up the phone. The next day, he called Hutchison again and said, ordered him to burn the house down. He said he needed the house burned down And I'm quoting, because there was something in there that could link me to the murder. Um, After they hung up, Hutchison set fire to the place like he was told. What an idiot. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Fucking fucking stupid. So during the investigation. There wasn't a spider in there or anything. Yeah, right. No good reason. I know, right? So during the investigation, the authorities discovered some information about the September 23rd, 1992 murder of 83-year-old Elizabeth Wasson from Hillsboro. However, they never found enough evidence to formally charge him with that one, and, but detective have, detectives have always suspected him as being responsible. Um, 
Now, the chief, chief deputy district attorney, Robert Herman, who coincidentally was my district attorney, decided <laughs> it was in the state's best interest to sever his trials. Caesar would be fa- tried in one trial for the murder of Martha Bryant first because that was the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When, there, when there's a lot of public attention. Media attention? Yeah, but there's more than that. It's like the whole public was outraged. And this is what actually, I mean, he could probably gone around killing 83-year-olds his entire life and nobody would have cared. Or would have known. It's the fact, yeah. But it was the fact that he attacked a very well-known, well-respected woman in the medical community. Uh You know what I mean? Uh, Publicity. That's Ah, the word. There you go. I couldn't think of the word for some reason. Um, No, here I go. Highly publicized. Duh. Um, so then he would go on trial for the murders of Shantae, Margaret, and Betty Lou. Okay. When the first trial began, actually, Washington County actually had three trials for him because they charged him with the assault on Matilda in one right. trial. Then they charged him with murder for Bri- Martha Bryant. And then they charged him again for the murders of Shantae, Margaret, and Betty Lou. So when the first trial began in November 1995, more than 1,500 Washington County residents were summoned for jury selection. <laughs> Court officials felt they had to summon that many people to select a jury of 12 and four alternates because it would be difficult for them to find someone who wasn't already biased by the news, especially since her murder was so widely publicized. Right. Now, I'm surprised they didn't try to get a change of venue. Yeah, that would make the most sense. Yeah. The first trial last because he probably could have gone to fucking Multnomah County and nobody would give a shit. Nobody would give a shit. The first trial lasted for about two months. Uh, the state entered a lot of items into evidence. One of those items was a letter Caesar had written to another inmate, dated November 9th, that was intercepted like during the trial. Huh. Um, that was intercepted by an employee in the mailroom, and despite. Despite the defense's objections, the judge allowed the prosecution to have it read as it infers he may have been trying to tamper with witnesses. Dude, he needs to talk to gypsy jokers. They had it down for years. That's right, man. Anyways, okay, the letter read, anyways, rats testified today, and as did the state crime lab. Ask Pope if he remembers asking me if I heard a if I needed a hand, that I said no, and it was something you and I spoke briefly about. But now you can tell him, yes, that his friend, James Lord, who is at Eastern Oregon in Pendleton, doesn't want to be coming back here to testify, but doesn't know how to stop doing so. Maybe Pope knows somebody that can teach him how to research the problem and come to an agreeable solution, that this would be most helpful, and it's ASAP. P.S. When you write back, just tell me if Pope says yes or no. I need to know ASAP so I know where to go in dealing with it. It is important. <laughs> so that is definitely, I mean, you can read what you want into that. I, I clearly hear another inmate telling another inmate to have somebody taken out. But whatever. <laughs> During the closing argument of the penalty phase, Chief DDA Herman argued for the death penalty. Now, this is going to sound familiar to you already. He said, quoting, if there was ever a case where your decision became simple or easy, this is surely it. Remember they said that in the Bitteker trial. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah Bitteker was the same um, way. Yeah, he, um, Herman described Martha's killing as a brutal, senseless murder 
And he talked about how Caesar became sexually excited whenever he attacked one of his victims. And he made sure to point out all of Caesar's victims were selected because of their distinct vulnerability. Because Caesar was killing for the sheer pleasure of it. Um, the defense attorney, on the other hand, asked the jury asked that the jury decide against the death penalty. And we've heard this argument before, too. He argued that Caesar's life should be spared so that researchers could have the opportunity to study his brain. He felt by doing so that they could better understand serial killers and prevent them from murdering. How would they prevent him from murdering? Any serial killer from murdering. Okay, well, hold on, hold on. I understand where he's going because, like, Cole would been would have been a good case, right, but I don't think studying um, him would have prevented no, the murder. No, no, but it would help them understand brain injuries and shit. Right, uh, yeah. Long would have been another good one. Yeah, Rawling. Um, yeah, that would be another good one. However, uh, and as close as you were to Caesar Brony's case, uh, I don't. No, there, there's nothing to learn from this peckerhead. Not at all. Not at all. Just being honest um, here, man. There's nothing to yeah. learn from Caesar. Yeah, exactly. He said, and I'm quoting the defense attorney here. He said, there is a greater good to be had than kill and be killed. Somewhere in his brain is the key. We need that brain and we need it alive to help unlock that key. No, no, we don't. No, not at all. In the end, the prosecution's argument won out over the defense and the jury ruled in favor of the death penalty. One trial down, one to go. Okay. Right. After Martha was murdered, or Martha's trial, excuse me, and before the other trial could start, Florida officials had heard word about his arrest here and were reading the court report, I mean, the uh, police reports, and noticed an eerie similarity to Alice Stock. Hmm. So they extradited him back there so he could face charges in her murder. Once he arrived there, because they figured, actually, if he could be convicted there, that Florida's more apt to kill him than Oregon would be. Oh, shit, shit. However, um, he had already been convicted in Oregon. So um, once he arrived there, he tried to act as his own attorney at first, (laughs) but the decision didn't last long because he wound up with a public defender. After they arraigned him on the murder charges, they sent him back to Oregon so he could stand trial in the other murder charges, the other three. With the sentences he received in, or, in the Oregon trials on, De- on J- July 21st, 2000, <coughs> the authorities actually in Florida opted to dismiss those charges he was facing. Um, they dismissed him because they determined that since he was already on death row, it would not be cost effective to transfer him back and forth. That makes sense. So... However, they made sure that if anything happened and he happened to be released from Oregon, they could bring him back and try him. Cool. Yeah. They just opted, let, you know, let's not pursue this. And They did the same to. thing with Carol Cole. Right. And they um, also did the same thing with the Gallegos here in Oregon, remember? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So when... Okay, during Caesar's second trial, the prosecution tried him for the murder of Margaret Schmidt Shantae Woodson and Betty Lou Williams. No, you're going to have to pay attention to this. This is really weird. After they were selected, the jury wasn't sworn in on that first day of the trial. It's an oversight that the defense noticed immediately, but they didn't address it. 
Uh, they sat on it until after the jury deliberated and returned a guilty verdict. That's when defense attorney Timothy Lyons, I know him personally, called for an immediate mistrial. And he stated that since the jury hadn't been sworn in, the verdict wasn't valid. Um, when the good move, yeah, but when the judge realized that they knew about it from day one and didn't say anything, um, he denied their motion. He and his name is Judge Noctigal. Um, I know him too. Noctigal, right he was, out. He man. was the one in my, he's the one that sentenced me. Um, <laughs> when the judge realized that they knew from day one, he said, Nope. He then went back in, swore the, ju- swore the jury in at that time, and then he ordered them to go deliberate again. Like, that would really make a difference, right? <laughs> You're sworn in now. I don't know if you can find him guilty. Um, the jury deliberated again, and again they returned a guilty verdict. When Lyons tried to appeal the sentence later, he based it on that argument. However, the Oregon Supreme Court wasn't having it. They denied the appeal because they said whether the jury was sworn in or not, when they were sworn in, they came up with the same thing, and there was there's too much evidence in the case to, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So during the penalty phase of the trial, it seemed like Caesar was a little, still a little butt hurt over the fact that the judge denied his mistrial. He actually refused to call any witnesses on his behalf, but he also did another stupid thing. He refused to let Lyons deliver a closing argument against the death penalty. When oh the judge God. questioned his, this decision, <laughs> Lyons told him that it was Caesar's life and he wasn't going to tell his client how, he, how to live his own life. I'm thinking, you are a spoiled, rotten little brat throwing a temper tantrum right now. See, boys and girls, this is why a kid, you shouldn't beat your kids, but a nice little swat on the ass every once in a while. What's uh, the harm in swatting their butt? I mean, don't use a belt or anything. Just pop them right on that diaper. It only scares them. It doesn't hurt. Uh, exactly. You know, don't try to crack on the ass, even when they get older, man. I'm telling you. Again, the jury ruled in favor of the death penalty. Okay. This time, they rece- he received two more, one for the murder of Shantae and the other for the murder of Margaret. Since the murder of Betty had been knocked down to second-degree murder, he received a sentence of 89 years for that one. So three death penalties in 89 years. Plus, I don't remember what he got for the thing against um, Matilda. But um, now, since the trial... Um, Martha Bryant was originally from Virginia, so her family opted to have her buried there. However, she had such an impact on her patients, uh, for the, on her patients and for the number of babies she had delivered, the community wanted to honor her. Um, so Tuality Hospital actually erected a memorial statue in her honor. It's a bronze statue depicting her holding a newborn. And it's located right so, right outside of the emergency room entrance on 7th Avenue. You should get a picture of that. I'm going post to. Post it on our site. I'm going to. It'll be part of the blog. Yeah, decent. Man. Yeah. Decent. Now, this also happened. The Italian clothing company, you said you've never heard of them, but I remember them specifically. The United Colors of Benetton, um, they had always been known for their controversial ad campaigns. They actually had one with a newborn baby all bloody with the umbilical cord. Um, plastered against some pastel clothes. It's and a lot of their ads didn't even have their clothes in it. They just advertised equality that they were for everybody. Bizarre shit. Okay. Very bizarre Fuck. shit. However, one of their campaigns became more controversial than the others. In the spring of 2000, Benetton ran a campaign titled "We on Death Row." This campaign consisted of a 96-page magazine supplement that had the faces of 29 inmates on death row across the U.S. Caesar was one of those inmates. 
Benetton stated that the campaign photos, quote, aim at giving back a human face to the prisoners on death row. However, the victim rights group said otherwise. They protested the campaign, and as a result, most retailers actually quit selling Benetton products in their stores. And the following year, the company settled a class action suit that was brought against them for uh, victims' rights. Okay. Um, the public backlash caused Benetton creative director and photographer Oliverio Toscani to resign from the company. And as it turns out, one of the photo that they use of Caesar in that ad is one that he sent me a copy of. <laughs> yeah. So everybody, I mean, because you can't really find it anymore, but because I, but I have a copy of it, so I can actually post it legally. It's my own picture. So Caesar's arrest, actually, and this is a weird thing. Um, Caesar's arrest marked America's most wanted, America's most wanted's 249th capture. As a result, hardcore fans of the show actually voted his capture as the best capture of the third century captures, which is like the third season. Gotcha. The bizarre thing about this, that feature, the episode featuring him never aired. They just aired a capture update. Um, as luck would have it, they were planning on airing the episode to find the unknown killer because they didn't know who had killed Martha and the other people by then. Um, but it never came to pass. You see, Caesar was already in jail and days before the episode was scheduled. I remember it was, I think it was supposed to air on a Sunday. And on Friday or something, a few days before that, they announced that he was the murderer. Oh, okay. And the weird thing is, is I worked with a lady whose husband was supposed to play the murderer. <laughs> and she was afraid for him because she didn't want people calling the authorities saying he was the killer. But Maybe he is the killer. I know. Dun, dun, dun. So you see, Caesar was already, oh, I said that. And the authorities charged him with the murders. Um, considering Caesar's infatuation with, and then I get into this. Considering Caesar's infatuation with Ted Bundy and his belief that he was a better serial killer than any other killer in history, I decided to do just a little bit of research. According to the serial killer bullion questions, which is the 40, you know, where 40 out of 40 or whatever, and we won't mention Homoka got five. But um, according to that test, um, Caesar wasn't as great as he thought he was. Ted Bundy scored 40 out of 40. Right. I remember that. Gary Ridgway, the punk, according to Caesar, it? 38, 38 out of 40. Okay. And Caesar actually only scored a 38. So he was no better than Ridgway. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, God damn. Sorry, Caesar. I think yeah, that you're a uh, basic bitch. Yeah, Tammy's right. You're just a basic yeah. On November 20... Oh, and I also want to say that... You realize if he gets out, he's going to hunt us down, right? Oh, yeah, whatever. This is why I've so got on, Prior to him getting arrested, though, for Martha's murder, he actually... Him and his girlfriend at the time were going to dinner with an acquaintance of mine and her boyfriend or oh. husband or something. And they happened to drive by that place on Cornell where Martha's body was found. And um, she had said that she remembered, like, looking out the window because it was still rather, you know, recent. She goes, I can't believe that happened. Who could do such a thing? And Caesar was sitting behind her and he reached over and patted her on the shoulder and says, don't worry, honey, that would never happen to somebody like you. (laughs) And then later he got arrested for it. She said it was the weirdest feel. She said it just sent chills down her spine. I said, I I believe you You because I shook his hand and he told me how beautiful I was. Got to tell you. If that if I was her and he would have said that to me, you know what she would have heard? <laughs> but nobody the, knew the, the second I found out. Like yeah, the, se- the second. Be- well, yeah, because the second I found out that he was a killer, I was like, oh my fucking god, I flirted with him. Yeah, I would. I would have shit my pants seeing mm-hmm. that. I'm a no. Pff, well, I can't wear. I can't wear these pants anymore yeah, on this couch. No. I got to burn the couch. Yeah, no. 
Isn't that weird? So on December 21st, 2009, Washington County detectives Mike O'Connell and Murray Rao, who were lead detectives on his case, traveled to Salem in an effort to interview Caesar one last time. He was in the infirmary dying from a tumor on his heart, and O'Connell figured it was the last chance they'd get to talk to the man. Hold on. Salem's not that far from from Hills Burrito and Beaverton, by the way. It's like an hour, maybe an hour and a half. On the back roads, I can do it in 35. Yeah, it's just not very far. Because people start thinking they had to travel. Like, they yeah. caught a plane, and then maybe a train crossed. No, it's... It's like literally, you yeah. Can it's drive I mean, because I go down home. to Albany to visit my daughter, and it takes me maybe two hours to get there on a bad day. Yeah, and Albany's like south of yeah, Salem, south so. of Salem. I used to make it to Salem to visit my friend in like thirty-five minutes, but I took the back roads the whole way. Because <coughs> um, you're a fucking maniac. I am. I am a lead foot. Anyway, so they drove down to talk to him. They figured, you know, and they figured it was their last chance to talk to him. And they went for the sole purpose of getting information on two unsolved murders. They wanted information about the murder of Elizabeth Watson and Joyce Scarborough. Okay. O'Connell said that Caesar's life was divided between, when he was out, his life was divided between the sociable, pleasant man and the murderous sociopath, which he is not surprised that a lot of people found him very charming. You know, so that kind of made me feel a little better. (laughs) However, he approached Caesar as if they were old friends. Upon entering the cell, he greeted him by saying, hey there, Caesar, how's it going? Um, O'Connell stressed that no matter what Caesar told him that day, they would not charge him. They were just, they just wanted to close the cases and hopefully give the family some peace. Okay. Even though he was on his deathbed when O'Connell asked him about the murder of Joyce Scarborough, he lawyered up. He said he didn't, quote, this is O'Connell talking. He said he didn't, he, he didn't say he had nothing to talk about. He just said he wasn't willing to talk about it. So he knows. He knows. Yeah, he, he goes, I'm, I'm just not willing to go there. Um, because um, what was O'Connell then tried appealing to him in a different way. He brought up Caesar's son and his father saying, you know, if you give us more information, it would put their minds at ease. It would help them, blah, blah, blah. But Caesar, it didn't phase him. He was too focused on his appeal because he still had appeals going through. Even though he was laying there dying. You're on your fucking death. He was convinced. You're not going to see a fucking appeal, yeah. dude. He was convinced that his convictions would be overturned on appeal. They reminded him of his current situation about being on his deathbed. He just looked at him, shrugged his shoulders. So O'Connell and Ralph figured they weren't getting anywhere with him, so they got up to leave. As they did, Caesar called out to them. He said, hey, Mike. Um, When they turned around, he asked them about the other detectives who had helped hunt him down. That's when they realized Caesar just wanted to talk to somebody and enjoyed having somebody there to visit him. So they ignored his question and walked away. The entire visit didn't last more than 15 minutes. Um. Caesar died three days later on December 24th, day before Christmas. As it turns out, he wasn't as important as he thought he should be. He died alone with nobody by his side to grieve his loss. Yeah, while most people have forgotten him, my experience with him affected my whole life. It was because of my interactions with him that I became intrigued with serial, I mean, like in-depth serial killing cases. It's why I do what I do today and research them um, so that more people can become informed. I wanted to share this case with everyone to let people know that serial killers don't always appear as horrible, vicious monsters like 
um, Richard Chase or, you know what I mean? Right. Um, some actually act really charming and you'll never know there's a killer in front of you shaking your hand and flirting with you until it's too late and they've been caught. Too late and they kill you or too late and they've been caught. What gets me? Oh, you still got more. Keep reading. Oh, no. That's pretty much it. What gets me is some of the serial killers that we've talked to act like they're king shit. Oh, like yeah. The, and Like craft. Yeah, but the, the, I'm talking about the ones that we, we've actually contacted, that oh, we're yeah, in contact you, oh, with. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And then there's others that really, if you look at, if you look at it, some of the ones that we talk to mm-hmm. are king shit. But they don't act like it. This is true. It's the it's it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. The the ones who are not known to anybody will sit yeah. there and act like they are they're they're worse than Manson Bundy and and all of them put together. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not going to talk to you because I'm better than that. Yeah, type, type of a thing. And then you know you talk to some serious serial killers. I mean. Yeah. Serious, serious serial killers, mm-hmm. and uh, and and the one that I will always bring up is is Patrick mm-hmm. Patrick Kearney. He is wonderful. He doesn't act mm-hmm. like he is like like look at me. I'm a superstar serial killer type of a thing. He's a normal fucking guy. Oh yeah, totally. He knows what he did. Totally knows. You know, and he he's taking accountability for it. Yeah, he doesn't deny it. Mm-mm. Not he's, once. He doesn't. He hasn't tried to sugarcoat it. Mm-mm. Anything like that. He's very accountable. Yeah. I mean, it, but he doesn't really dwell on it either. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, I mean, yeah, he did kind of a little bit in the first, I think it was the first one. The f- he yeah, kind of talked about it because he was like, yuck, you know, about that's them torturing. I, I directly yeah. asked him a question and that's, yeah. and it, it was appropriate to yeah. the thing because, you know, like I said, he's got class and style. I'm waiting. I should have another letter from him next week. I'm I should just... say you should have one this week. I'm waiting for one from another one from down in California too this week. Um, I'm so excited. But, I'm just, yeah, I got to mail up that one in Florida. I just haven't gotten, got it. I like want to go to the post office and just, you, did you see anything? No, no, it's to me from Patrick Kearney from, from prison. From yeah. Ion, you like want to stalk your mailman, huh? I do. <laughs> you wouldn't go to work anymore. <laughs> right around the time, you know, the letter's coming. You'll be like, I, I got to call in sick. I got to stalk that mailman. Fucking mailbox. You have no <laughs> idea. It, it, it's because honestly, it's because I, I enjoy talking to him. Yeah. He seems, I mean, he's like I said, Take out the murders. He's a human being. And even if we talk to other ones that we weren't re- aren't really happy. We talk to some monsters. Yeah. Let's just fucking If call we're them. not really happy about what they've done, if they're personable and like accountable for their actions, I have a lot more respect for them. Right. I mean, we talk to people that are seriously fucking monsters. Horrible people. But there's a difference between being a monster serial killer. Mm-hmm. And being a serial killer who kind of is a decent person. Right. If you take away the crime. Yeah. Because I actually have a source who's an inmate in Oregon that, you know, but um, he isn't one of the best people either. But at the same time, even uh, conversations with me, he said that he regrets doing what he did, you know, because we talk on the phone. But. You know, I at some point it's like you know they're still human, and they should have yeah they're going to be in jail they're never going to get out but at some point when they're human and they're ready to take responsibility when do you stop like punishing them you know what I mean they're already they're being punished 
you know, what good is it for me to sit there and tell them how horrible they are? Right, right, exactly. You know what I mean? We don't even tell our monsters that. We don't. We don't. (laughs) Not at all. We have yet to say that to anybody. You know, we've wanted to, but we don't. Um, but no, I, I guess, and really, I mean, I was going to split this, split this up into two episodes. I was going to do the Florida section and then the Oregon section. Um, but my question for you is, what do you think sparked this hatred towards women? His mom leaving? Probably. That's the only catalyst that I can see. Yeah. Is, you know, mom leaves, says, you know, I'm out of here. I fell in love with someone else. He's more important than you guys. Yeah. So, and, and he was four. It sounds like something small and innocuous, but but there was no evidence of him torturing animals or anything when he was younger. He just like bullied the school, you know. But the you also kids. have this woman who's trying to step into the mom position, right? And did a valiant effort at it. Yeah, your son's going to have some pulled pork. <laughs> Intern, come here. He said no. He don't want any. He's still half asleep with his hair. He can't eat very much. His uvula is swollen right now, but I'm going to oh. make him some tea. You should have seen the look on her face when we did the pulled pork. She, she had that sandwich going on. Dude, I couldn't finish it. it I started gagging. freaking wonderful. Well, I, who found that one. I know. I heard it was you. And next time, if you don't warn me ahead of time, intern, we're going to have problems. No, we won't. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> I will tea. fire you. <laughs> I got some badass tea that I use on stage for stage for shows when my when my throat's fucked up. And give him some, you know, some of your whiskey too. Just kidding. Oh, we can do that too. I know. I made hot toddies for my son. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was my question: is what made him be that way? And 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 I guess another question, and I might cry during this part because I was <coughs> able to hold it together for the episode, is. Um, How would how would somebody like me like because that the comment from O'Connell kind of helped a little bit, but it's like how do you reconcile that? It's like he had already started killing people when I met him, and I like openly flirted with this guy. You had no idea. You know? It's not like he had a big flash and neon sign that said serial killer. That's true. He was a, very he I, was very charming. I know that very, you have a problem with it. But build a bridge and get over that shit, bitch. Because fuck it. Well, because I don't let it affect me. It's just sometimes had, it gets to if me. If you had a flash and neon sign that said, "Hey, I'm a serial killer," mm-hmm. and you were like, "You're cute," I'd blow you. I'd be like, "You have a fucking problem." What the fuck? Yeah. Well, and if you see pictures of him from back in the 90s, he was handsome. I saw pictures of him. I'm like, he's a good-looking motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. You see how a a 16-year-old girl would get moist over seeing him. Well, and the fact that I had no self-esteem and this very good-looking man was flirting with me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I was just wondering. I mean, because like I said, I don't let it affect me, but I'm pretty sure there's other people out there that do, you know? Um have an interaction similar to that and they let it affect them. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. So it's like, I guess the reason, I guess I want to say is that um, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of people who actually are arrested for crimes, even if it's not serial murder, they, you might never suspect them of that. Exactly. That kind of action. So, <coughs> Don't take into account what they did and how you reacted to them when you knew them. Take into account what you do after you find out what they've done. You know, do you still yeah. associate with them on that level? Do you still, you know what I mean? 
Well, exactly. you condone what they did. Exactly. And you know? I'll, I'll be quite honest, just because of my affection for Patrick Kearney. That's mm-hmm. why I talk to him about him all the time. Um, even knowing his, his past, mm-hmm. if I had a chance, I would sit down with Patrick Kearney and just have coffee with him and just chat. Right. Because, well, like I say, because he's taking accountability for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's my end goal. By the way, my end goal is I want to sit down, I have know. a cup of coffee with Pat. I know you do, and just or just sit down and like no, socialize with him. That's what I was gonna say. Not even talking about the murders. Yeah, no, just shoot the breeze with this wonderful, articulate dude. Yeah, totally. I understand that. Yeah, that's you know because so I can separate out the crime mm-hmm. from the person. You can. You can, and I mean, and we're trying to do that with everyone that we're writing to, because you know, true, but some are true monsters. Some are true monsters, but at the same time, we want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But true, we want to hear their side of the story yeah. because it's all we're getting is the media side. Yeah, and, 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 and we all know the media is biased as fuck. Oh my god, I was a skinhead. <laughs> you were. What? I was a skinhead. Oh yeah, when you got. Arrested. I was a skinhead um, gang member, and it was just fucking ridiculous yeah the the and that's every media outlet yeah. by the way it's not just the liberals or the conservatives no. it's it's all everybody they they write the news to entertain not to well inform. exactly and we ran into this with danny rowling how there was a suspect in that case who wasn't even associated with the murders but the media latched onto his photo because he had scars yeah and everything and so he it totally like ruined his life he yeah. got out and it was publicly announced that he had nothing to do with it and he was still ostracized. Yeah, exactly. So the media can kiss my ass. <laughs> Unless but, you're talking about us because we actually give you. Yeah, well, as we're many not tech. We I mean, we're media, but we're not technically media <laughs> because we just, you know, we give what we know, what we've heard, what we can find <laughs> on the killings. Right. And if the people are alive, we actually write to them and say, hey, look, this is what we found out. How much of this is true? And I am going to tell everybody out there that I'm not going to publicize my letters to pat until which time he does pass away yeah um then you know everybody can right. read him but this is these are very private letters about his they life. are they are and there's a lot of stuff in there that is very personal that he has asked us not to share right exactly and i might, so, I might share one or two small things but I'm not going to publicize no. all the letters. No, not, not at gonna, all. Not I wouldn't either because he's asked us not to. Right. And so, he, just, and he just says it's a lot of stuff that people don't know. And I think we should keep respecting that. Uh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. But then the other guy down in California, another one that we've been writing down there, has told us some very personal stuff and asked us not to share it. And we aren't. Yeah, we aren't going to share you it. Know, if they ask us not to share, we won't. Yeah, well, it's, you it's know. out of respect for the person. Yeah. You know? All right, what else you got to add for Mr. Um, Barone? That is about all for Barone. However, I will say this, that um, because we're having Patreon launch today as well, um, we'll have a link on the the description for this podcast on there. Um, We're going to have it on our Medium page. We're going to have it everywhere, the link to Patreon. Um... But if I ever find those letters and the letters that we do start sharing with them, that is going to be one of the levels that they'll be able to get that. Yes. And, and we'll actually read them over the air and then like post them. And on post the letters. Yeah, yeah. Do like copies and shit and post the copies. Right. Right. But because yeah. So what, what I will share with uh, from, from uh, especially Pat is, you know, uh, it, it's just going to be stuff about his life. Right. I'll, I'm willing to share that. Right. Um, 
I'm not willing to share the very personal information. Right. Well, um, then that's just the thing that, is we need to shares. clarify with him too. And that's before, what I want. Yeah, yeah, we want to clarify with him too. And just like the other guy, I want to clarify with him what he's going to let you know let us share because he did share some stuff that he hasn't told anybody. Well, yeah. So get the inside track on but that. But yeah, <laughs> we want to. Um, we want to share that we're going to have like special episodes where when we do start sharing the start sharing the letters, those will be some of those special episodes. Um, don't forget, we have the pans around papers. Those are going to be a special episode now that we got Patreon yeah. set up. And um, yeah, so we have a lot of that coming out. And oh, crap, we, we got to restart do... the episode. You're lying. I hit a board. Oh, shit. I'm so fucking with you right now. <laughs> you don't even know. I, I was almost going to come over there and choke you. I was like, that was, what, three hours? I've never seen that look on your face before, but that was worth it. That was a no, Kodak moment. Yeah, whatever. Dude, I you just don't even know. But, um, no, so, like I said, but we do have some giveaways coming up. You want to talk? We have some T-shirts that okay, right Okay, boys and girls, here's what I'm doing for yeah. you as as our listeners we're gonna be running some contests pretty soon yeah with so the, stay these, tuned with hopefully by the end of the month first part of next month and there's two ways to get onto these contests okay mm-hmm. number one is through our website yep you go you register we're gonna give you uh the, the contest rules and i'm still kind of making it up it might be a test to see oh, if you're paying yeah. attention that could be too like a quiz type a little thing. quiz quiz yeah it might be just enter your name and your email address mm-hmm it might be telling me the first person that you serial killed. Yeah, tell us. We you won't never tell. Know. We won't tell anybody. But I want to make it fun. I want to. We, I, we both want to make this fun for everybody. We're gonna have t-shirts, mugs. I think we're working on tote bags. And yeah. Like, well, we definitely are gonna have um, some t-shirts right. You know, right away, and then some also. I think we're going to do zip-up hoodies. Is that what we were doing? I think so. Just a few of them. Just to have a few. Okay. You know, because we're not going to... Not everybody's going to win. Because I didn't anything. know if we were talking about the whole company-wide or, um, for the hoodies or... or we were talking stuff. about... We were talking both. So I was just... You know, we might be having okay. those. No, yeah, no, it's cool. something we have mentioned. You're, you're in charge of that. I just throw money at yeah, you. That's my job. You do. You throw money at me. But also... Uh, but we are going to be looking into some cups, you know, mugs and tote bags and keychains and that kind of stuff. Um, autograph pictures. Yes, and um, there'll be like fun promo pictures, not just Scott and I standing there. Of course, a picture of me is awesome. Hell, I might even do you a poster of me if you request one, because I've got a poster of me. You do, you self-centered little shit. I have, and I've got the frame. But it's a real. I'll admit that's a very good picture. You're the one who took it. That's I a know I am. Picture, yeah, right? it was you know because like I said, I. Um, <laughs> but anyways, also around. And I know we'll keep mentioning this right around the 17th of December. We're going to post online for them to vote for our award, the Brutal Nation Awards that we were talking about. Oh, yeah. And if we're going to go that far into it, the 18th of December, uh, Twisted Blue, the band, my band, will be performing in Portland. So stay tuned for that update. Yeah. And because we'll do a live meet and greet at that show. Yeah. Too. We're going to set up for yeah. a live meet and greet. Uh, yeah. The cover at the door is going to be 10 bucks. So. It's not too bad. Three bands in total. Right. And it's uh, it, it's going to be a long night, but it's going to be a fun night. Right. And we can also, I mean, I think that's part of our Patreon, too, that they can get, you know, for, we can offer them at certain levels. T- 
tickets to those shows. Right, you know? right, right. There, so, there's always yeah. So there's always always shit. There will be. We have a shit ton of benefits for our Patreon. You'll be surprised. Yeah, uh, yeah. We went all out. We're not going to leave you guys in the dark. We're not no, going to leave you guys and in the dark. We will make sure it's well worth your your support because you guys have made this well worth my support. Yeah, you guys have made it awesome without even us asking you for a dime. Yeah, really. So you guys are pretty badass. Yeah. After. All right, we're going to wrap this one here up because my son is sick. And I'm going to go take care of my 18-year-old Aww. baby boy. You're going to go hold him and rock him and tell him that you love him. You know, he's 18 years old. He's still my baby. I know. You know, this is true. Because, I mean, there's times when my son is sick that I still, I mean, I'll sit there and hold him. And he's like <laughs> six foot nine and 400 pounds. And he's close to 400. Yeah. So... But yeah, Maybe so less, that's it. Know. So look for, like I said, click on our Patreon thing and, you know, donate what you can if you can and just support us so we can keep doing this and give you more, yeah, uh, more benefits and more episodes and more everything. Right, right. All right. Remember, send us an email. <coughs> My allergies are shit. Mother Nature here, by the way. It's Sucks been ass. Dog shit. It's been freezing ass cold. Freezing, like I get up in the morning, I'm heading to my truck, and I'm, oh my god, I need to put on a goddamn snowsuit. And then all of a sudden, it's like springtime, and I'm sitting there right. going, "Fuck, I'm sweating." Well, yeah, because I've been—it's been hot in my house these last couple of days with no heater on. And the, the, the trees and plants don't know what the hell to do. So one minute they're like, "Okay, we're not going to give any pollen off," and we're, I'm like, "Yeah, that's pretty badass." And all of a sudden, oh, pollen everywhere. And I then, know it's crazy. Fuck, man. I freaking hate it this year. So remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium and Crime Beat that's on Medium. And we're picked up by several other publications. Just yeah, several Brutal publications Nation. on Medium, yeah. At Brutal Nation, and we should pop right up. This show's copyrighted. 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. Happy 100th episode to us. We will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.